Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. How's it going, everybody? This is the Anime World Order podcast back again. This is show number 192. Unlike the previous show 191, we're actually recording this fairly soon after the previous episode. And so I have to give an important update. We are very influential. In the last episode, we talked about Baki (laughs) on Netflix and how it had adapted all of New Grappler Baki and where were they going to go next? There were hints that perhaps they would do more. Well, as of the day of this recording, they have announced that Baki Son of Ogre, a.k.a. Baki Hama, is becoming a Netflix anime. And it's all thanks to this podcast talking about it. There can't possibly be any other extenuating circumstances. <laughs> my name is Daryl Surratt, and I'm joined by my two typical co-hosts. I am Gerald Rathcold. And I'm Clarissa. And... We are joined after a two-year hiatus. Yes, it's been two years. We just checked the calendar. We've got a special guest. Say hello. I can't believe it's been two years. Oh, wait, not really. I have turned to dust, just like the bad guy <laughs> in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, just hearing that. Hey, it's Mike Tool, everyone, from that internet. Yep. And so the last time you were on, we talked about uh, Gundam Reconquista and G. The compilation <laughs> films are... In the process of still coming out, have you gotten a chance and to hey, watch And hey, the thing them? we're talking about tonight has an alumna who directs this picture. So, you know, very important. It's, it's all, all connected. connected. Yeah. Oh, that was a connection. Did you watch any of the compilation movies yet? I haven't seen the uh, Reconquista and G compilation movies. I'm kind of waiting until they're all done. I'm worried that it's going to be one of those things that Tomino makes a couple and they're quite good is what I've been hearing. Then he just abandons the project or just kind of flushes the third one. Rebuild a Reconquista. Yeah. I still can't get over that they're calling it compilation films, but there's like five films, right? Yeah. It's like a comprehensive repackaging (laughs) of the TV series story that fixes a lot of the defects. That's almost like just putting the episodes together and removing the intro and and outro. Almost. The manga video style. (laughs) They're not doing that because the buzz I've heard has just been like, yeah, these are quite coherent and fast-paced and enjoyable. So I got my hopes up. Our podcast is none of the above. We're the Anime World Order (laughs) podcast, where roughly whenever we feel like it, we talk about Japanese animation, comics, except when Gerald refuses to read manga because he's anti-comics, and things pertaining to same. Our website is www.animeworldorder.com where you can find a link to this episode as well as all of our previous episodes. We've got a review index. We've got guest appearances on other podcasts that we've done. And in addition, we have an email address which you can send to us for correspondence. That email address is animeworldorder at gmail.com. But more importantly, what have you been up to lately, Mike? Oh, well, uh, last week just did a standalone panel for Discotech Media, just on Twitch, not attached to any other event. We had not been invited, uh, and there was some confusion over a couple of the big uh, online conventions, uh, so we decided to just go our own way, and uh, it was very popular. We had uh, over a 1,000 people watching. They got to see me in real time figure out, oh, wait, XSplit <laughs> is lying to me. I am, in fact, dropping a ton of frames, 
and Twitch does not like me trying to send a high motion, high bitrate 1080p video to it. It will not play it back properly. Well, I think it will. It's just that you are also streaming to Brady and Justin. And so you were effectively streaming twice over the same connection. Mm-hmm. And so I think it kind of cut it in half as a result and hogged the processing time between Discord and XSplit, as the case may be. Yeah, well, whatever was happening, I figured it out. I love that panel. I thought it was great. I will say this. You are sort of the unsung hero of the virtual convention format, because when Anime Lockdown kicked off, you guys mm-hmm. did a thing for that, the discotheque bit. Yeah. And that had the peak viewers during the virtual convention, just over 800. Yep. And now, for this standalone thing that you guys did, you got almost elite status, 1,237. So, yep. you know, just another extra 100. I've seen really heavy-hitting virtual cons that, for whatever reason, don't get the word out because they rely on their guests to say, hey, you can post about it on your social media. And, well, if Haru Itagaki's got a ton of furries following her, okay, they'll tune in for her thing. Yep. And maybe, like, 100 people show up, 200 people show up. Right. So what's the secret to your conquering of the social media platform after years of Selby being like, yeah, we don't need Twitter? <laughs> what worked this time was just setting a date and getting the branding together, you know, getting that nice little PowerPoint slide thing going and just loading a bunch of tweets into TweetDeck so people wouldn't instantly forget it. There's something about these discotheque announcements, and I'll go out on a limb and say I'm part of that and I'm proud to be part of that. Since the first industry panel we did in 2015, there's always been a really positive buzz around them. Like the people who are into anime on home video really get hype for it. And that makes it more exciting for us. So it's a virtuous cycle. And it's one that, as we saw, even carried over to online. Yeah, I thought it was a great panel. I was there for all of it. It was so nice that you guys could kind of take your time and kind of go through everything and weren't constrained by... uh, Oh, yeah. We went for for two hours. It was great. Yeah. We yeah, actually just... answered questions, <laughs> even though like our fr- we led with, hey, uh, just so you know, uh, we can't answer questions about what we might license in the future. And those were just all the questions. <laughs> yeah, that's what all everyone asked for anyway. It's like, so what yeah. are the news? When are you going to license this? And Well, see rule one. Yeah, and, and they're I, like, yeah, yeah, but that's the rule. But when are you going to license this? It was very entertaining watching the chat stream as soon as Project Echo in, in high def shows up. Because uh, the thing that I think nobody expected possible to happen yeah. was happening there. Yeah, my only complaint about that is, like I said in the panel, I actually had a couple of bits of test footage, and I kind of wanted to run them, but Justin was just like, no, that's a test, we're going to make it look even better, so don't even show them that yet. Because just what they're doing in early testing, it's just mind-blowing. I won't say, yeah, yeah, it looks just like a film scan, because obviously not, but it looks like something like 720p, maybe a little cleaned up, better than I ever would have expected that movie to look being mastered off of LaserDisc. So that's tremendously exciting. And hopefully in going through the ACO films, that process can be refined and more stuff that doesn't have good materials can be rescued from LaserDisc. Now, you also did, even before this, because it's been so long, you were one of the panelists for Otakon Online. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Way back. uh, God. Tell us about the trials and tribulations of putting (laughs) that one together. (laughs) Well... I understand you had a similar experience, Daryl. We were both trying to use this weird visual template that Otakon prescribed, which had a lot of these space blocked off. So you had to figure out where to put the camera, where to put the video, how to blend it in so it all worked. And what I experienced was for some reason, Adobe, oh yeah, they wanted copyright notices on all the videos Mm -hmm. for legal reasons. And it's like, okay, yeah. 
honestly, it was kind of fun. I did the Korean bootleg anime thing, and every one of those things had like a studio and an owner attached to them that I could cite. So it was kind of fun digging that information up. But for whatever reason, like I think I eventually determined the font I was trying to use was corrupt. Premiere just like would not render out the files. So I had to use all kinds of crazy workarounds. And eventually, instead of trying to edit together something really elegant, I kind of just did the panel blind and used XSplit to record it. Then did a little trimming and just threw that at Otakon like the day of the deadline for it. By the way, Otakon surprised everyone by saying, uh, actually, you, uh, we know we said we gave you guys an hour, but can you make these things shorter? Actually, it's a half an hour, and it's just like, oh my god, oh. I am going to have to compress this so much. Yeah. Now, you had the most unique and innovative solution to this. Oh, yeah. I to how to hit that 30-minute mark. Yeah, yeah, because even with the 30-minute mark in mind, I put together the program. I cut over 50% out of it, of the early program I made. And when I was done recording, I still had 48 minutes. So I took as much of that as I can, and I just sped it up. <laughs> yeah. I sped it up right to the bleeding edge where it started to sound distorted. Right before, like, <laughs> right when you, you, could, you could listen to it and be like, this sounds a little sped up. But before, it was just like, they sound like fucking chipmunks. <laughs> It but. was additive because you were already showing bootleg anime from South Korea in the first place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The audience, the <laughs> audience liked it. They thought it just added to the atmosphere and the humor. I think I would watch the Chipmunk Mike Tool panel. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that, though. The only way to enjoy the Chipmunks is to get Chipmunk audio and then pitch shift it down so it's at the same speed, but it's clearly <laughs> yes. just the voice of Ross Bagadazian <laughs> layering over himself and talking to himself. That's incredibly entertaining to me. Huh. <laughs> I wonder if our listeners remember who the chipmunks were. I suppose they had the 3D CG oh, movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the cartoon movies have kept them in the public consciousness, yeah. for sure. Yeah. In my case, what I was doing was the Anime 1990 panel, because that's 30 years ago. So was that your only one, or did you have a couple? No, I had only the one, yeah. because it was a completely new workflow to me. The normal panel workflow is like, I get a bunch of clips, and I show up, and I run clips, and if I'm running late, I just kind of reshuffle things around. Yep. But this time, because of their weird layout, which surprise they didn't actually use, which I, yeah, I, I, was knew say, I, I forgot to point that out. Yeah, they didn't actually even use that. So our videos just looked weird. Right. <laughs> I just looked like I had a whole bunch of black space. And yeah. It's like this guy doesn't know what he's doing. It's like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. They gave me a template. It's like oh, they don't my believe. Gosh. So I ran that. A lot of the stuff I had, like two days before, like I was talking about Nadia in the last episode and saying like, oh, that's actually no longer viewable for the 30th anniversary of it and so on and so forth. But no, I only had the one, but it was one of the more well-viewed panels because I had like the best lead in the world, which was the world premiere of Yashihime. Oh, that's right. Even though that AKA had technical goof-ups. Uh, yeah, his parents. Yeah, big, big audience for that one. That was kind of exciting. That was one where, yeah, he found out the hard way, don't try to send high definition video over zoom because yeah. it's meant for webcams and plays at like 15 FPS and yeah, what exactly. have you. <laughs> That's my day job is diffusing stuff like that. So that was really entertaining to watch. Other than that, have you been watching any of the now current season? Cause everything got started in March and then delayed for six months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And stuff has gotten pushed around. I've kept up on a few shows. Decadence has been very entertaining, very colorful, very action packed. I think it's a cool show interesting concept it's kept me absorbed throughout and because you mentioned just because you kind of offhand mentioned this is really good and no one's paying attention Apare Ranman. yes that's mm -hmm. one of my yeah. favorites of the season the weird fusion of samurai in the old west and wacky races <laughs> yes yes 
serious business wacky races. Yep, that's right. Very interesting idea. That studio always does beautiful looking work. Mm-hmm. PA works, yep. yep. PA works, that's it. Yeah. yeah, I've been enjoying those two, and I just wrapped up the available episodes of The Great Pretender on Netflix. That's a killer show. That's one of those shows that's just like, it's kind of weird that more people aren't talking about this because this is the good shit. Gerald Close, I know you guys are watching The Great mm-hmm. Pretender. What are your thoughts on it? I like it, although I tend to really like heist stuff and con artist stuff, and mm. I think I need to watch it again because I feel like the first time that I've been watching it, It's weird because it feels like all of their plans are really bad. (laughs) And I'm like, would this work? Like, it seems like weirdly, it seems like weirdly constructed. Yeah. So I think I just have to like, not expect it to make actual logical sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) part of why I enjoyed it so much is the con is always much bigger and dumber than you expect it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And there's more people in on it. There's more double crosses. And then like you contemplated early in the con and you think they'd never go there. That's too stupid. And then they do (laughs) and they make it work. Right. I'm kind of curious about it because, uh, yeah, we got through the first arc, which I thought was a really, really good premise like that Mm -hmm. arc how it started out in the story but i thought that the end i was slapping myself on the head like i thought the end result was kind of bad Mm -hmm. we're in the midst of the second arc which i think is maybe better i i'm not sure and i was chatting with evan minto about this Mm -hmm. and he said the third arc is like super good like yeah really really good Mm -hmm. killer yes it is so i am curious because i think it's one that it seems like it might get better as it goes along Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's really just like i had the wrong kind of expectation going into it. And so I think I just need to adjust like what my expectations are for it. But I do think the characters are interesting. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful looking show. Like I, I yeah, have to give that's... it to the art department there. Mm. They uh, really like knocked it out of the park. Like the backgrounds, they use like non-traditional colors for everything. It's, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous looking. Really distinctive look to it. I do find that even though he does good work and tries to modernize his style, like the, the Yoshiki Sadamoto character designs still look kind of dated to me. <laughs> I think that they work pretty well, actually. Like, maybe I'm so mm. familiar enough with his designs, but I see what you mean. Even though it's understated, there's still, like, a lot of pointy chins and spiky hair going on there. Yeah. And he really only has, like, one young guy he can draw. And he just yeah. kind of adds, like, maybe some different hair to him or something. Exactly. <laughs> or turns him into Nadia. Yeah. Well, he has... <laughs> Nadia turned into Shinji. I'm so... Get it right. That's well, right. That's right. <laughs> well, he has, like, the innocent, round-faced character, and then he has the older, leering senpai. You know, he's, yes. he's applied that to a bunch of his works, and they always look the same to me. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been enjoying those. Uh, God, what have I been watching on Crunchyroll? I've been watching The God of High School, though I've, it's been a few weeks. I've kind of let that one go. Action animation is good. Story is kind of losing me. I was watching the dubbed version of Ascendance of a Bookworm. That is the most mm. incredibly basic, straightforward, easy mode show ever, but I absolutely love it. It's very enjoyable. I've heard it's quite good. I need to watch that one. Yeah, it's the usual main character dies and is transported to a medieval world where she is now in the body of a little girl in a peasant family. And her favorite thing in her old life was books. She was studying to be a librarian and there are no books for the peasantry. So her big job that she wants to do is start inventing the tools and creating her own books. And this, of course, is going to completely upend the society. Right. (laughs) There's also some low-level magic stuff going on. It's a very also kind of skill tree thing where it's 
like, yeah, she fills up the skill trees for various craft uh, jobs using her <laughs> little buddies and is in the process of just completely upending this medieval society. And it's the main character is like a plucky eight-year-old girl. So it's very straightforward, very good, innocent fun. I've liked it a lot. Now, what about the biggest anime that you've been watching, Columbo? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the best well, anime of all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have we, we have about 10 episodes of the 1990s Columbo to finish, and then we'll have watched all of it. It'll be sad that it's all gone. I kind of love the fact that over the pandemic season that never ends, we've gotten this larger and larger cohort of people that are, have gone back and are watching Columbo, because it's good. Yeah, I need to hop on that train. Yeah. Yes, you yeah. do. I've it's... managed to nefariously influence people just by posting absurd video clips of Columbo <laughs> on my Twitter account. It seems that I s gradually start seeing another person here and there being like, well, I'm going to check this out. It's on Peacock or it's on Prime Video or whatever. Yep. And then I check back in on them. They're just burning through well, it. Well, yeah. it's weird because yeah. I like a lot of those kinds of shows, but for some reason I just missed that one because mm -hmm. like i used to watch like murder she wrote and i watched a lot of like other cop shows and detective shows but for some reason i just kind of happened to skip that one so it's definitely a, a gap that i need to fill in because columbo was like three movies a year and if you weren't watching like yeah. was it nbc at the right yeah. time the nbc mystery movie on sunday nights yeah. right yeah exactly there was a rotating cast there was like columbo ironsides and two other detective movies that were on yeah. regularly throughout the year. There, there was anywhere from like three to six or seven movies per year over the course yeah. of about a decade. I particularly love Columbo. He he feels very right in the current climate that we're in because his entire shtick is, let's take this rich jerk down a peg. <laughs> right. It always ends with them getting arrested. I'm sure all the convictions get overturned, but we don't think about that. No, no. I, I think... <laughs> no. <laughs> the fact that Columbo was so popular in Japan and got like spinoffs, I feel that in some way the genius characters of anime owe some DNA to Columbo in some way, shape or form, especially like the, oh, I knew you'd do this. And so I did that. But of course, the difference is in anime. That character is usually like a prick, whereas Columbo <laughs> is uh, very downplayed, very unassuming. Yeah. Like maybe there's some Captain Goto lineage, you know, from yes. go back to Columbo. Yes. Yep. Oh, definitely. Goto. For sure. I discovered when I was watching the Columbo movies, oh, I see now why I like Ghost in the Shell 2. That's a Columbo episode. <laughs> huh. Yeah, totally I feel like Oshi was probably big into Columbo. So wait, is Bato Columbo? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Bato is Columbo. Yeah. Togusa can't be Columbo. No, no. Togusa is the pleasant occasional side character that Columbo gets assigned to in these pictures. Hmm. He teams up now every now and then. We're not going to explain to the listening audience that we've just gone from talking about Pat Labor to talking about Ghost in the Shell in the span of <laughs> about 30 seconds. And so it's only fitting that we bring up that Mamoru, she is attempting to make a live action beautiful dreamer, but filing off the Urusei Yatsura from the serial. Oh, boy. Because he just cannot stand the fact that he is an anime director. He makes films, damn it. And so he's going to inflict another misbegotten live action cinematic project upon the world. Uh, Oshi, make a comedy again. You're so good at making comedy. He said comedies. he was going to, that vampire girl thing for Cartoon well, Network. How did the Garm Wars turn out? Did the Garms win? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what about the Assault Girls? Yeah, no, I mean, th like those pictures all, I, I, there would be some kind of good buzz, but I'd just be like, no, nah, I don't, you know, I'm not really feeling it and I just wouldn't watch them. Mm. He makes these movies that He's expecting to have like the sort of unlimited budget, but he's got like the same shoestring budget that he would get for like making an anime movie, but he just does a live action one instead mm -hmm. and doesn't necessarily have like the charm of say a gunhead or 
right. uh, Hakaider or something like that. It just ends up coming off like overly ambitious yet cheap looking. Mm. Right. And not in like an endearing way. And so, yeah, all his movies, I think, his live action movies, I think, are just kind of rough. Even when you go back to like the Kerbero saga stuff, it's like, okay, we're here to see Yutake Zubuchi's cool armor. <laughs> Get to it. Yes. We're here to see the visual shorthand for the triumph of the Jinro animated film being slowly built up. Yeah. haltingly yeah. in other media and then then it'll be repurposed and then someone else will make it good dang that reminds me i need to watch gunhead <laughs> oh yeah you, no, you've never I, seen gunhead no i i saw it advertised by adv put out the vhs way back when and i oh that's right saw it yep. there and i remember seeing it and was like what the hell is this thing and i then at your panel uh, mike you were mentioning mm-hmm. gunhead Will that be our next Mike Tool guest <laughs> appearance? Well, it's not anime. Well, Paul true. Chapman it's has not. already covered Gunhead on Greatest Movie Ever with Tim Eldred. Yes. You know, you may want to consider consulting that one. But there are a lot of things of that ilk that are sort of coming back that I think have their own charm. Media Blasters is gradually unearthing itself from yeah. the depths of Hades and oh, re-releasing yes. its catalog onto Blu-ray. Yes, they are. They started a, a Twitter account. We're finding out what stuff that they licensed uh, over a very long term or in perpetuity <laughs> because they're able to release them on Blu-ray. Yes. I'm telling you, man, those Aiken and Jungle Day Eco Blu-rays, I'm tempted. Oh, I'm going to get them. Jungle Day Eco was funny. I mean, I saw it before it got licensed and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. And then obviously once it came out, everyone realized it was like completely unacceptable and it's like oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's completely it's, unacceptable <laughs> isn't it it's incredibly gross and racist but it's also really interesting to look at yes it's yuji moriyama doing good animation work making jokes about greenpeace and killing whales yep yes lewd transformation and, sequences yeah. done by children yes and great music as well because mm-hmm. uh, uh ms slayers herself not megumi hayashibara megumi hayashibara is in jungle day Eco. yes <laughs> that is true she is. yeah Totally unacceptable, but I will be buying it. I think, you know, we've burned about 25 minutes of this silly banter. So I think before we get started, let's burn a couple more minutes from some other semi-related banter. I am so glad that I did my piece last week, because whoever has to describe the storyline of Gundam NT, good luck. Well, the context for this is that it is a much-awaited episode. It was an episode that possibly wasn't supposed to happen. When we had Mike on to talk about Gundam Reconquista in G, which, even if you don't want to listen to it, listen to it. (laughs) Because it was show number 168 two years ago. That one was, we said, if the Patreon doubles, then we will come back and talk about Gundam narrative. Wait. See, go, you no, guys no. didn't set the price point high enough. It, it couldn't have been. No, no Daryl, now that we're 25 minutes into this thing, I can correct the mistakes that we've been repeating for, for many of those minutes and say, oh, wait a minute. Reconquista and G isn't the most recent one I was on. We talked about Zabungle. Zabungle, that's right. Yeah. That was the one. Because yeah. I was like thinking, I'm looking at the timeline. It's like, hey, wait, how could we have talked about it in 2018 Yeah, when it didn't exist yet? But you're right. We talked about Zabungle and mm-hmm. it uh, really strangled our Zabungle when we said, <laughs> that's right. If the Patreon doubles, then we will come back and talk about Gundam Narrative. Yep. And so we figured it'd never happen. And <laughs> Over the ensuing months, various people have, kept quietly uh, urging people to do it, and they kept doing it, man. We did it through the passive-aggressive, please don't do it, please don't hurt us in this way, because you love us, <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of thing. And it was really one giant debate, because everyone was like, ha, 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 let's get them, guys. So <laughs> uh, I am honor-bound 
to read at least a couple more usernames of the people who helped bring this to us, which I will do so right now. So I'd like to give special thanks a lot, guys, to the following individuals. And I've probably read some of these already, but Papa Fruitsos, C7R, which sounds familiar, Devron 121, motherfucking Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Taking out his wrath for having been cut out of the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies. Probably not going to be in the Amazon Lord of the Rings thing whenever that comes out because it's set before with his pages and pages of bard-like demeanors and songs and crap. I always pictured that character as like Super Mario with a pointy gnome hat and like, you know, <laughs> hip waders, bright yellow hip waders now, singing like- his jolly tunes. The cartoon Super Mario or like the Captain Lou Albano Super Mario Super Show? Kind of the Captain Lou. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Dylan149, who is continually retweeting my posts about leftism. Daniel Zemba, Paul Cooper, Malahat, our good old pal Dramata, who I have to always give a special congratulations to her stellar work localizing video games such as Super Robot Wars and the like. Yes. Brian Van Dyke, Die Easy Man, Keith Brown, and Justin Hurst. This episode's for you, as well as all the other suckers who want to hear us, you know, be <laughs> what an rational honor and calm about this cartoon, which we'll be getting I to. I hate you all so much. I'd say, why do you hate us? But we do deserve it because we're all terrible. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I think you have great patrons. What an honor roll. <laughs> You're all great Americans, even those of you from other countries. We'll take a quick break, and when we return, it will be time for the long-awaited review of Mobile Suit Gundam Narrative. And on that note, I would like to mention that this episode of the Anime World Order podcast in particular is brought to you courtesy of our sponsor, RightStuffAnime.com. And you know what? In the time since the last episode in this one, there's been some other big podcasts that have come along and they've done the full high production podcast thing where they try and copy Radiolab. You know what? I can I can do that NPR shit, too. Hold on. Hold on a second. I got I got. Yeah, here we go. We got some groovy sedatives. Uh, Drop two of these right now. Ah, Ah, that's another one. Um, just, you know, wait for that to kick in. And then, you know, we, uh, you do what the other, uh, things that, uh, all these respectable, uh, podcasts do, you know, you put on the copyright free, chill, lo-fi beats. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's the stuff. Right stuff is the place to purchase your anime and manga goods. And when it comes to Gundam, they are the best place because not only do they got it all, they're the licensor of it. And we're talking about Gundam narrative. The pre-orders are just about finished with that. All pre-orders at Right Stuff, you get 25% off. So the retail price of Gundam narrative special edition, $54.99. But if you pre-order it, $35.74 exact same price you'd pay from Amazon. Heck, if you go to Amazon, the seller is right stuff anyway, but you also got to pay $4 shipping and you got to get it shipped by Amazon people instead of the real people who care. Cut out the middleman, get it packed well. I got my copy of 13 Sentinels from Amazon and of course it didn't arrive on the release date and the disc was loose in the case because they shipped Blu-rays in some bubble wrap mailer. Nah, 
Use right stuff for that, man. Plus, if you got the God Anime membership, it saves you an additional $2.75 on that pre-order because you're getting another 10% off. So that brings it down to $32.99. Plus, shipping is free for all orders over $50. Heck, why not order another Gundam thing while you're at it? Gundam Unicorn, Gundam The Origin, Gundam Thunderbolt, something like that, if you don't already have it. Just go ahead and go to our website, www.animeworldorder.com. Scroll on down, click the link to Right Stuff. It'll launch the Right Stuff site, but we'll get a little commission for that sale too. Oh man, I'm starting to feel a little off, starting to feel like I'm kind of, kind of flying, like, man, like I'm a bird. Yeah, let's get to this review. Hello, Abrinian. How are you? Fine, thank you. Oh my god! Uh, I wish I were a bird. Hello there, every meow. Como estas? Bien, gracias. Oh my god! There are some times when I wish I were a bird. Wait, what you saying things like that for? When I'm reborn again, I hope I get to be a bird. And you, Yona? When I'm reborn again, I hope I get to be a bird. And you, Yona? Again and again we're reborn. When I'm reborn again, I hope I get to be a bird. And you, Yona? <laughs> when I'm reborn again, I hope I get to be a bird. And you, Yona? If you're going to become a bird, well then, I'll become a bird too! And welcome back to the Anime World Order podcast, where I've just taken a tranquilizer, a couple of Xanax, to be very calm and sedate and serene. Drugged up like a 50s housewife. As we talk now about, in a calm, mature, adult fashion, as we are, <laughs> as we will no doubt be for the entirety of this recording, the time has come for us to talk about Mobile Suit Gundam NT which stands for narrative, not for new technology. It's not a new operating system or new for type. Windows. Well, you know, it might also stand for new type. Who's to say? This movie came out in 2018. And before we talk about that, I think the best way to discuss this film is to talk in a way like how Grandpa Simpson is relaying a story about how he needs to get his shoe repaired. <laughs> So, you know, the important thing to remember is that he has an onion tied to his belt, which was a style at the time. Uh, so let's proceed in that fashion. Now to take the ferry cost a nickel. Yeah. And in those days, nickels had pictures bees of bumblebees on them. Give me, five. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. Yep. Don't get me started. That's the format of this review, by the way. So <laughs> yeah. back in show number 129, which was six years ago, back in 2014, oh, we God. reviewed... Gundam Unicorn, the seven-part OVA series, and I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode because we're probably going to only partially repeat some of the points that were already made there. 
I mean, really, I don't think knowing about Unicorn will actually make this well, make any more sense. Well, hold, hold on, Clarissa, because no. I think it will. And I think if we, it's not time for me to bring out the 1500 words of damning quotes I have from people involved in this just yet, but it's there. It is part of the long-running anime series Mobile Suit Gundam, which we've talked about many a time. I think we gave some summaries of just in general what it's about. I think most recently we reviewed the alternate universe Gundam series Gundam Double O in show 153, which is three years ago, back in 2017. Yeah, we haven't released a whole lot of episodes. What are you going to do? But Gundam Unicorn was a return to... The original Gundam timeline, the one that everyone thought had been dead. You know, all the blood had been wrung from the stone dry for decades from the 90s when they'd started doing all these sequels like F91 and Victory Gundam and things like that. And people were like, you know what? This whole story ended with Shaw's Counterattack, the theatrical film in 1988. And anything you try to do afterwards is just kind of rehashing the same thing. And at this point, it's now been 20 years since Gundam started in 1979, and it's just too much for people to keep track of. And so they went and they did alternate universe stuff. Well, once Gundam Unicorn stuff started off, they said, you know what? We are going to make a sequel set after Shaw's Counterattack. And now all those people who grew up with Gundam have money. And so it was like this very prestigious project, exceptional animation, music by Hiroyuki Sawano, you name it. And it made the Universal Century like a cool thing, a marketable thing again. Just to reiterate, Universal Century just is Char and Amuro. Yeah, the main exist, Gundam do exist story have line. existed. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And like I said, you may want to go back and listen to the previous episodes we did about Gundam, just so if you haven't already got some familiarity with it, that you at least sort of know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Gundam Unicorn was adapted from a light novel source material. And the light novels were by a guy who you're going to hear about quite a bit named Haratoshi Fukui. We've talked about him a bunch in the past, and we're going to talk about him quite a bit this time. So he's a guy who's written a lot of light novels, and he's also written screenplays for anime. And I believe his talent lies in one of these two things. (laughs) The point is, is that the original Gundam Unicorn, because it was so successful... There was some merchandising tie-ins that got made, the most notable of which was the construction of a life-sized Gundam Unicorn statue in Odaiba. And this statue was famously depicted on film in a Hollywood movie, marking the first time that Gundam ever appeared in a Hollywood movie. Not a Canadian (laughs) thing. Don't let the fake news enemy of the people try and tell you that it was that (laughs) other thing, but it was Pacific Rim Uprising where that happened. And during construction of that statue, the powers that be said, man, you know what? We need to make something. We need to make some more material related to Gundam Unicorn. Mm. We got to tie into this. Yeah, you got to synergize. Yeah. What do we got? And then the executives at Sunrise, they sort of, you know, discussed amongst them. They said, you know what? That Gundam Unicorn thing, that light novel series, you know, that's still going. Why don't we just do more? And they said, yeah, but, you know, Gundam Unicorn kind of ended already. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's just do more. And so (laughs) that's what they did. What could go wrong? Well, nothing could possibly go wrong, Clarissa. Like, just look <laughs> at what happened with Fissa North Star 2 and all these other things. <laughs> well, that th- people- this adaptation is technically not a chronological sequel per se. It's a side story, right? It is, in fact, yeah. a story that is set after the events of Gundam Unicorn. 
Yeah. Well, it jumps around a bit. Well, yes, it does. And we'll get into that in just yeah. a minute. <laughs> so many flashbacks. Well, well, it's no, all no, over the place. It's not, we can't start making the Godzilla jokes just yet. But <laughs> I think when Gundam Unicorn was made and it was declared, hey, you know what? There's still meat on the bone for this universal century. In fact, there's so much. We are so confident that they announced an initiative and that initiative was called the UC Next 100 Project. Has anyone heard this phrase before? Nope, never. Sounds horrifying. Mm-mm. Well, don't worry, Gerald. I'm going to explain to you what the UC Next 100 Project is. Hey, Daryl, before we do that, do you remember the Gundam Big Bang Project? Vaguely. Which one was that? <laughs> it's a branding. It's these branding initiatives, man, with the silly code names. That was the 20th anniversary project. Big Bang Project included AthMS Team and G Savior. Oh. Ah, yes, that's right. G Savior oh. was the <laughs> Canadian live action film that they afterwards decided we don't dare put the name Gundam on this. It doesn't count. <laughs> Sell the sets to Stargate SG1. And do not declare it as in canon. <laughs> Buy the sets from Starship Troopers. Sell the sets to Stargate SG-1. <laughs> right. So yeah, that, that was a movie that came out in the year 2000, so 20 years ago, to mark the future, because it's the year 2000. Mm-hmm. So no, this is the UCNX 100 project. And it will soon become apparent the three letters that I think kind of sum up what they're going for with this. But I believe, at the end of the day... If it hasn't been clear from the years of buildup to this episode, we've got some issues with this production. And if I had to boil it down to three letters, those three letters are as follows. M-C-U. <laughs> as in Marvel Cinematic Universe. As in the thing that everybody wants is their own cinematic yeah. universe. Yeah. Where you got to not just see one thing in the sequel, you got to see every goddamn thing in order to make sense out of this. The quest for a shared universe is ruining all narrative media. God. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I liked a lot of those Marvel movies, but God, it's just everybody else is incapable of like, well, this thing was successful. So clearly we should just do that. We have to have our own version of this thing that, that right. has all of our characters and our stuff. Right. And, like, and clearly eh. the, the, the factor for success is just the fact that it did this extended universe thing. And even if we have no context for it or <laughs> no, uh, a real plan for how we're going to set this all up, as long as we just like slap an extended universe onto it, right. It all, people will love it. Well, right. worry not, Clarissa, because Mobile Suit Gundam in the Universal Century is already an extended universe because of all the stuff that came before. That's true. Thus, you've got the UC Next 100 Project. And why is it called the Next 100 Project? You're dying to know. Well, don't worry, because when they announced this, they declared, here's the roadmap up front. As everyone loves to see, like, you know, when you have the dark universe, here's the roadmap up front. <laughs> The UC Next 100 project is so named because it is going to detail the next 100 years worth of things and events that happened after Shaw's counterattack ended. So remember, Mobile Suit Gundam Shaw's counterattack was originally the end of Gundam. That was going to happen in the year 1988. It was going to be over and done with (laughs) and there would be no more. And then when I reviewed Gundam Unicorn, I was like initially saying I was kind of skeptical of it, but hey, I consider this the thematic 
conclusion of all things Universal Century as far as Gundam. And yes, I know there's F-91 and Victory and stuff that happened chronologically later. But as far as closing the book on it all, Gundam Unicorn was it. I knew there would be more. I didn't think that there would be a years spanning roadmap of all the things that they want to do afterwards of yeah. which this is it's it's the next one's hathaway's flash right hathaway's flash is coming up yeah. yep, yep. Mm-hmm. which at it's, least it's that has be, a bit more of a direct tie it's got but, more of a pedigree a direct tie yeah. because it is based on something that was written many years ago that mm-hmm. at least in some way shape or form yeah that story was told in some form or fashion now they're just animating it and updating it it's getting very much like where Star Wars is. Get, get where... ready to say, yeah, exactly, Gerald. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. don't, don't open the yeah, flipping door it's... yet, Gerald. I'm trying, the, the meds are starting to, to wear off, Gerald. I can't take it anymore. I already tipped my hand on Twitter because it, it just, it, it, that, that, that scene floored me in, on the Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, let's make an entire TV series about the dog that runs by the screen and wore in the pocket. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, like... so, so here, here's the... Are you saying you hate Baby Yoda? well no that's good actually (laughs) but the thing is 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 that it's good (laughs) i do have some hope for hathaway's flash maybe it's misguided but i always say in the anime world order podcast it's important to sort of pay attention to the staff of these projects Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there is a slight change in staff between gundam unicorn and gundam narrative because a lot of that staff is working instead on hathaway's flash so i did mention that Gundam Unicorn, and in turn, this Gundam narrative, which we've spent 15 minutes we haven't talked about yet. Don't worry, we will get to it. I said it was adapted from a light novel source material into screenplays. The light novel source material was from Harutoshi Fukui. When they made Gundam Unicorn, they adapted it into screenplays. They got a guy, an unsung hero, a name you may not be familiar with, a gentleman by the name of Yasuyuki Muto, who might just be a genius. Because if you look at his resume... It's very clear that he is a specialist when it comes to taking something with incredibly wordy, meandering source material and getting straight to the point. Because here's what he wrote in addition to Gundam Unicorn. Are you ready, guys? Yeah. Mm. All right, here we go. Bible Black. Good. Good stuff. <laughs> Bible Black Origins. Awesome. <laughs> Bible Black Only. Yes. Body Transfer. Good stuff. Angels in the... Co- okay, listen. All of these things are porno. He writes porno adapt, <laughs> uh, adapted from adult dating sim visual hey, novels where they're paid by the Angels killer. in the Court was classy porn. It was. But in any case, he kind of knows, all right, this is what people are here to see, and all this other stuff is bullshit and extraneous, so I can get rid of it. By contrast, Gundam Narrative is adapted from light novel source material that was written by a guy named Harutoshi Fukui, and the person who adapted it is Harutoshi Fukui. That's right. The light novelist adapted his own screenplay to be like, here's what I think is truly essential. We've danced around it a bit long, but... Always a risky proposition. Always risky. Mm. You know. You might have a bit of a a different view as to what takes priority, let's say. And they're different formats. You know, writing a novel is different than writing a screenplay. Plus, since he's the author, he's like, I've got to get my shit in, right? And you got to remember, Cormac McCarthy wrote No Country for Old Men as a screenplay before he reworked it into a novel, which was later adapted into a film. So some writers can do both. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But can light novelists? Uh, Beagle did the screenplay for Last Unicorn, if I remember correctly. So, and that came out quite well. Princess Bride was the screenplay was written by the author, I think. Seems likely. It happens. William Goldman. 
Yeah. And, you know, certainly Katsuhiro Otomo did as good a job as possibly could be done when adapting Akira, his manga, into a film. But in this case, light novelists are kind of people who get caught up in the weeds is sort of the stereotype. (laughs) So we did mention that Gundam is effectively Japan Star Wars and Yoshiki Tomino is effectively the George Lucas of Japan for all the good and ill that that phrase entails. (laughs) Yep. So... Hartoshi Fukui has described himself in interviews, and I had to pull this up. Oh, boy. He introduces himself as, I am to Gundam as J.J. Abrams is to Star Wars. Oh, no. I completely agree. I completely (laughs) agree. And we will talk about this soon for all that entails. Nothing wrong with that. It is 100% accurate. It is 100% accurate. (laughs) I think it's more accurate than he was counting on. But anyway, Gundam narrative effectively, if I had to say thematically what it is in the Star Wars analogy, it is, you might say, a feature length version or light novel version of the midichlorian speech from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or perhaps it's more akin to, say, how Solo, a Star Wars story, is a two hour and 15 minute long movie that spends 30 minutes of its running time providing a very extensive setup and justification for the fact that in a movie from 41 years ago, Han Solo said he made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. And someone pointed out, hey, isn't parsec a measure of distance, not time? And the actual reason that he said that line is because back in the 70s, there was no Google or Wikipedia and George Lucas made a mistake. Yep. Right. But the fans couldn't no deal with could it. overcorrect. And so they had to make a big justification for why it is i love that everything that ever interesting happened at han solo before he met the characters happened over the span of like eight days yeah right it's all yeah other than that completely anonymous dirtbag nobody smuggler (laughs) that was the one interesting thing he ever did yeah he just had one i can dig it eventful weekend yeah and then he made his name off of that yep It ties in to a common fan syndrome, whether it's Gundam, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's you name it, of especially these like legacy owned things where something that was written like sort of loosey goosey, where they just kind of like were doing shit just to do it. Then it gets handed over and then people are like, okay, we got to get into the lore and we got to get into the weeds and the details of this thing. Exactly how that's basically the purpose of Gundam narrative like Haratoshi Fukui was getting into arguments with his friends over the years about like so what are new types really man well I'll show you uh, I think logically based on the fact that Lala soon turned into a bird in Shah's counter I'll show you guys I'm gonna write a fucking novel and this is gonna be it and it effectively became that if you want to know like the story of Gundam narrative it's Really simple and yet really dumb because the more you think about it, it's like, <laughs> what? When you think about all of the ideas Gundam it's created. It's all of this shit that happens, but it's basically pointless. Well, when you think about all the ideas that Gundam brought to bear, all the ideas about interplanetary combat, the use of asteroids and, mm-hmm. and space-bound colonies as weapons, giant towering machines of mass destruction, and you think, what about the weird psychic space baby stuff? That's what I really want to know about. Right. Right. (laughs) Goes into such. You'll see that a lot of fans like they kind of get lost when Gundam starts getting into the weird seventies New Agey Esprit type of stuff, and they focus more on like just give me like Eighth MS Team or Gundam Thunderbolts or stuff like that. I think it's also like it's something that I think works as a way to 
facilitate the interactions between the characters and the sort of like emotional and humanistic ideas of what's happening. And instead, now people are just getting so bogged down in the stupid details of it instead of like the broader picture of what it helps to illustrate. It's like the force. It is like the force. Exactly, (laughs) Gerald. It's like the force. The force was not a thing that George Lucas sat down and wrote the rules for. And then people were like, oh, no, the force has got to work like this. You can't do that. And then if you make up a new thing, it's like, oh, so you can't do that. Okay, listen. Uh, It was so tremendously irritating. I don't think George Lucas gave a shit. Yeah. Now it's just, you can do, now Gundam, new types can, are gods. Whatever. We'll get, we'll get into it because. We'll get to it. Basically, I got to spoil Gundam Unicorn before I get into this because it is set shortly after Gundam Unicorn. If you haven't seen Gundam Unicorn, please go watch the original OVA version of that. It's great. I love it. I don't recommend you watch the re-edited version that's on Crunchyroll where they took the footage and chopped it up to make episodes like TV show episodes. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that is also what aired on Adult Swim on the Cartoon Network. And they did a similar thing to Gundam The Origin. The pacing, just it doesn't work. It doesn't flow naturally. It's lousy. See, now I feel torn about Gundam Unicorn, though, because on the one hand, like, I enjoyed it. It's beautiful. But now it it, it also is the cause of all this other bullshit. Well, sure. <laughs> and people yeah. say, people like to claim a questionable sequel doesn't invalidate the original. I always say, are you sure? Is that really your final answer? Because sometimes it makes you go back and question the motivations of, like, the previous thing. But in any case, the way that Gundam Unicorn ends is they're in search of a MacGuffin item, which is called Laplace's Box. They open it and they find out that there is a charter that effectively says, hey, from the beginning, they were supposed to have granted equal rights to the space-noid individuals, people born in outer space, as well as people born on Earth. And so you should let them have independence. And so, okay, there shouldn't really be a need for this whole Federation versus Xeon conflict. Of course, we know because there's F-91 and stuff after that, it didn't really work out. But point is, that's where Gundam Unicorn ends. I feel like the continuing theme of all of this stuff that happens after like Shaw's counterattack is just that a lot of stuff happens, but functionally nothing changes. Right. Because it has to be that way because there's got to be some sort of war going on. Some sort Mm -hmm. of rationale to always continue to build new robots to sell merchandise for. I feel like we need the UC Gundam equivalent of like Deep Space Nine. (laughs) Yeah. Just like a smaller story, more localized. We do have smaller stories. I mean, 8th MS team was kind of like that. 8th MS, Thunderbolt, Mm. Igloo. Yeah. 0080. And Thunderbolt's great. There are those stories and I like them. But I mean something like outside of the context of that central war conflict. Do something afterwards, but it's like, okay, there's other things you can do that don't have to be perpetuating the same conflict. Yeah, the fans just got so pissed off at 0080. They're like, how can you draw the Zaku differently in the year 0080? (laughs) This is of outright, you know, like that's all people talk about. This is why you should never listen to fanboys. Well, unfortunately, here we are. I was going to say, why would you even like that? I've never heard that issue raised as a problem with 0080. How'd you make Katoki worked miracles with with Okawara's designs. Really, I love really brought the designs the in 0080, but for many yeah. years, like Bandai was hesitant to release 0080 or market it or sell merch because it's like, oh, it's whatever. But plus, fans are like, where's the guns? Lots of the shooting. Where's the? That's uh, the canon films. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the end of Shots Counterattack, there was this faction called the Neo Zeon. 
are the sleeves for short because their uniforms mm. have like sleeves on them, I guess. But everyone's uniform has sleeves. You know, <laughs> when I was watching this film uh, earlier today, I ate an entire sleeve of Ritz crackers. Yes. So I really identify with that. Uh, <laughs> I wonder how many portions that is. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's considered 10, even though really a uh, serving size yeah. of Ritz crackers is the entire thing. Oh, yeah. It's like if you look at like Oreos, it's like the serving size is like ridiculous. It's like two Oreos or something. It's, Bitch, nobody eats two Oreos. Exactly. The sleeve is worth mm, uh, ten, ten portions. portions. <laughs> uh, more Star Wars jokes. So yes. the sleeves have effectively been disbanded. And so now there is like a Xeon government that's formally recognized. But then Minerva Zabi is like in some secret base somewhere having very Captain Harlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years style video <laughs> conversations with people to remind you, yes, I am related to this. <laughs> I am relevant. Yeah, even though she's smart and determined, they still just sit her in a chair like when she was six years old. Right. Yep. And yell at her. Because she's know? Gundam Princess, damn it. Yeah. So they know, like, well, we can't really do anything with her because the idea of this is that the end of that last one, Gundam Unicorn, ended up with the titular Gundam turning like a weird color and emitting like the sort of green energy that happened at the end of Shaw's counterattack. And it was like, unlike anything anyone ever seen. So we got to take these things off the table. And so we're told that those things are decommissioned, dismantled. The world decided the Banshee and the unicorn are like, they're too cool. Of course, you got to have new robots as a result, right? Mm -hmm. New models to sell. Yep. And so one of the new models in question gotta move that plastic. was one mm. that I bought before this movie came out because I was like, sight unseen. Whoa, this looks cool. It does look cool. It does look cool. I'll give you that. It's called the Phoenix Gundam. It spelled is very cool looking. P-H-E-N-E-X. And it is effectively the Unicorn Gundam painted gold with an additional runner for a tail. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Just like everything in all these Gundam sequels. There was never just one. So it okay. turns out that, yeah, even though the Banshee is effectively the unicorn painted a different color, well, there's a brother to both of them yep. that's cooler and badder and stronger than Knuckles and faster than Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> and it's called the Phoenix. <laughs> Which it's like, Only how dare? Like, okay, <laughs> you know, Shaw can pilot the Hyakushiki because Shaw's like peak big dick energy, iconic. Nobody in this is cool enough to be able to pilot another gold. Another gold, <laughs> you know, no. shiny like, Gundam no. robot. Correct. Well, I think my favorite detail of, of this mobile suit is the fact that it's actually pronounced Fenix. Not quite Spanish. When we were watching it, you know, my wife, Prairie, was just like, oh, that they're saying FedEx, right? There's going to be like a FedEx <laughs> truck that's going to be rolling up through space. Trying to make a delivery. It's clearly <laughs> supposed to be thematically Phoenix, like the mythical right. bird of fire. Oh, yeah. Like the yeah. Osamu Tezuka, et cetera. Not, you know, obviously Phoenix. Look, you got to change the spelling so you can, can, can copyright it. it. Exactly. <laughs> God, That's right. Get that cheddar. But this Gundam is whereabouts are unknown. Unlike the Unicorn and the Banshee, which have been, you know, decommissioned, this Phoenix Gundam is out there somewhere. And so both the Earth Federation as well as the remnants of the Xeon are thinking, you know what would be bitching if we recovered <laughs> the Phoenix and then we had that shit and then we'd run the place because the tech on that is outrageous and <laughs> can do all kinds of ill shit. So a corporation 
that we've never heard of before <laughs> called yeah. Luyo and Company, which is so powerful. It's just as powerful as Anaheim Electronics, which, you know, you've been hearing about all these years. But we're also there and we were there secretly super powerful. OK, couldn't it have just been someone in Anaheim? I don't know, Clarissa. I'm sure there's light level <laughs> rash on that. That would have simplified things a lot, but... Uh... Yeah. It would. You know, Anaheim Electronics is like this corporation that's selling arms to both sides, so to speak. But you have another company that's doing something similar. And so this company is like dispatching like some people, covertly, mind you, to mm. help recover this thing. So are the Xeon. They're also covertly trying to recover it. And at the center of all this <laughs> are a trio of uh, highly interesting characters who are known as the Miracle Children. And this is where we start to see the gimmick of Gundam narrative. Ugh. So remember what I talked about? The Star Wars being handed over like the J.J. Abrams sort of uh, approach mm -hmm. to things where J.J. Abrams' gimmick is, you know, maybe he doesn't really understand what themes mean, but he certainly did see the other Star Wars movies. And he likes to say, hey, remember that other thing that happened before in Star Wars? So that's what this movie mm -hmm. effectively is. Hey, remember that other thing that happened before in Gundam? Because the beginning of this is the three kids flashing back to some event that happened in 1979, original Gundam, that was a two-minute thing that happened where they crashed a colony into Australia and wiped that continent off the map. Well, as proof of the, the emergence of new types, these kids predict that colony is going to smash into Australia and they got to evacuate their little island. And because of who their parents are, they managed to get them to listen to them and they evacuate everyone. And so these kids are known as the miracle children. Now, wasn't the whole point of new types supposed to be that this was something that was emerging from people from who people growing in up space? in space, not people yeah. who, Not lived, people on who lived on earth, their entire goddamn lives. Yes, Clarissa, yeah. that yes. is correct. But yeah. what the fuck do we know? These are perhaps kids of famous people, and maybe they were born in space, man. But human souls are weighed down by gravity. Throw that shit out. Because the little kids, you know, we've got, and, and correct me if I'm wrong with these names, we've got Rita, mm -hmm. Michelle, and yes. Jonah. Yona. That's right. Yona, that's right. Yeah. Not a boy band <laughs> member, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, I'm sure he probably was spiritually. He has boy band hair. Yona looks like Dollar Store Amaro. Yeah, he does. Let's not beat around the bush on that. Nope. No, let's not. Because he has got the same silly hair and similar wishy-washiness, but without the... You're talking about Yona? He doesn't have the same hair. He has like K-pop boy band star hair. He's got yeah, that no, his, his hair isn't as like messy as Amaro's. Yeah. This guy has found a comb before once in his life. <laughs> <laughs> as a result, and we learn this through the most clunky way possible, because earlier I mentioned Godzilla. And when I said Godzilla, I was referring specifically to the one with Brian Cranston in it. This was the uh, American Godzilla, not the Roland Emmerich one but the one that they brought back. And I am infuriated by this film. I don't know what you guys think about it. That was all right. It's fine. Here's the structure oh, of that movie. That movie made me so annoyed. Look out, guys. Godzilla's about to do a thing. Here he comes. And cut away. Cut away. Cut away. Yes. They cut back. Oh, you just missed it. But it was so badass what Godzilla did. But don't worry. Godzilla's coming. He's coming to this other place. Oh, no. Cut away. Mm-hmm. 
So that's yep. basically how this movie is structured. Yeah. It's a Godzilla movie that tries to focus on the people, but the fact is that the reason people watch Godzilla movies is because of the giant lizard. And so this is that for robots. It just doesn't really work. Yes, there's a story going on where you've got like these factions that are covertly trying to apprehend this rogue mobile suit. But every time something cool is about to break down, they say, hey, remember, Gundam? there's a flashback. The thing you're watching now. Oh, my God. It's this. It's constant. The same fucking flashback <laughs> so many times. Yes. And this is not like John Robo where you get greater context with each flashback to the same event. No, it's just the same flashback. Oh, had the film Maroni Kenshin movie style. My favorite thing is when Michelle, who is like the secret scion of this Anaheim Electronics competitor, is in a business meeting with someone from the Titans. Yes, yeah. And she's saying, well, that monstrosity of yours really raised hell in Hong Kong. And she points to the monitor where the episode of Zeta Gundam with the Psycho Gundam is happening. Well, the Psycho yeah. Gundam going amok <laughs> is showing. And at least in that case, at least when she points to the TV, it's new animation. This is a movie. Is that new animation? That really looked like the original animation. Well, maybe it's just, the animation uh, from the new translation movie that had new that animation interspersed. Yeah. Because this movie has the fucking nerve to start playing footage yeah. from yeah. the from previous the stuff from the 70s and 80s and just putting in clips. And not the theatrical cut of the films, but like the 16 millimeter, you know, looks like hell if you blow it up unless you take really good <laughs> care of it stuff. That happens and all it does is remind you of the Gundam you could be watching. Right. Rather right. Than this. <laughs> oh, remember when Gundam was good? Yeah. Yeah. Remember Gundam? It's the member berries. So yeah. now I'm yeah. now I've got to do it. I'm opening up the notes, everybody. This is quotes <laughs> no, from Barry's interviews. I like how these weren't open yet. <laughs> no, they weren't open yeah. yet. I had to go to it. I mean, I knew the J.J. Abrams quote because it was short. But mm -hmm. right stuff, our sponsor ended up licensing this after we made the threat to talk about it. And so <laughs> once they announced that, uh, I've been doing? hyping up. They're our sponsor. Yeah, they're our sponsor. And then they're like, we're going to send you a copy to review. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure. They sent press copies to me and Daryl so we could have the film fresh in our mind. Yes. So I have in my hands the Mobile Suit Gundam Narrative Special Edition. And it is, in fact, a prestige release of this movie. It comes with a physical booklet. It's got all these extras on it, which I watched in their entirety to bring to you. And I'm going to... Booklet doesn't do it justice. It's like a 78 or 80 page book man. oh yeah, wow, yeah really yeah yeah it is it's it's like close to 100 pages that's so much effort yeah. to go to for this well it's a very financially successful film clarissa sure. so it perhaps warrants it a lot of things that are garbage are also successful i'm not going to read the entirety of the interviews even though i have them but i took some select excerpts and you can see these full interviews for yourself if you buy the limited edition so i want to read a quote from Naohiro ogata who's the producer of the film and so he says, yes, this title will be marking the first film to kick off the next 100 years in the Universal Century. So if you watch narrative, even if this is your first Gundam anime, I think you'll be able to see what had occurred in the Universal Century up until now and give light what? to what will happen in the future. <laughs> what? So... I no. hope you check out Narrative to reestablish what Gundam is all about and continue Nobody to enjoy the series. Nobody should watch this that has not already watched like every other UC thing in existence. But I made okay, Gundam I was, Narrative uh, in the hopes that... Even if that you have, it still like hardly makes sense unless you watched that look, shit like no, it, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly I, I it. You better to, have it fresh to, in your I, mind, which I, I do. I wanted to bring this up later, but now that you, 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 you've set me off, Daryl, <laughs> you, you know, you know what this... <laughs> You know what this movie reminds me of in a big way? What? 
it reminds me of watching Batman v Superman because that movie requires <laughs> such esoteric knowledge of you have of to remember comic Man of Steel quite well and. Uh, yeah, you have to have this huge esoteric knowledge of comic books, and all that does is it gets you to zero. Right. It gets you to <laughs> then you can zero. understand what they're doing, which, you know, I, I happen to have all this knowledge about Gundam right. and comics. Yeah, and Man I mean, of Steel. it's like, I, part of me wants to appreciate the, you know, because a, a lot of times I think movies are too much into holding people's hands, so I want to appreciate the elegance of, like, just having, like, Jason's Robin's suit in the, uh, the case, but, like, also, how many fucking people know who jason todd is that aren't like super hardcore comic nerds nobody because he hasn't been right. in a movie well yeah a theatrical yeah. live action movie yet it's washing over me again man they made a batman versus superman movie that cost a quarter of a billion dollars and had two fight scenes one of them sucked yes i have to continue the quote and like in this movie like that scene <laughs> that, that that scene that you were guys were talking about where they were like watching like the Psycho Gundam scene from Zeta Gundam. It's like to yeah. know that, like you have to have this esoteric you have to knowledge know what they're of Zeta. Talking about that, oh, this is Zeta Gundam, a thing that happened, and this was the Grips War, and yes. all this. And but all let it me, does, it, and all it does, it does is let you know what time you. this conversation is happening. That's the only purpose right, of that is to establish. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, this is when they're having this conversation. Oh yeah, and and the the only utility of that moment, and I know every person in the sold out theater where I saw it thought the same thing I did, which is like, oh, they sh you know, she points to the monitor. There's a psycho Gundam, and we all thought, oh, that was a good episode. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> right. That was nice. <laughs> all the references that are required for you to understand this movie, it's all subtractive. Like if you don't know what's happening, it's confusing, and if you do know. It gets you to zero. Exactly. Right. So yeah. let me finish the quote it, it now, now that we've established quickly. all of yeah. those points, because they're all valid. So he finishes by saying, but I made Gundam narrative in the hopes that even if this is your first Gundam title, you are able to feel the history of the universal century and that we can cultivate new audiences after they've seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what brought in new audiences? <sighs> Iron-Blooded Orphans brought in yes, new audiences. Yes, Iron-Blooded Orphans yes. brought in a new audience because it was a alternate universe. The reason why they started making alternate universe Gundam in the first place was because 30 years ago, people were too goddamn intimidated by all the Gundam anime that existed to become new fans. Also, Iron-Blooded Orphans has tons of, like, shirtlessness. Shirtless hot boys oh, and yeah, modern yeah. tropes. Shirtless young dudes. If you want to draw in new people, you can at least be horny. Right. Yeah. Yes. I remember, Clarissa, you mentioned that the infamous promotional image for Gundam Narrative made you hopeful that this was going to be a much hornier film <laughs> than it ended up being. Yep. And it is not, but it was a no. meme unto itself. When they were doing the promotion for this movie, they started to release all kinds of wacky stuff. They opened up their cafe with their themed dishes. They mm -hmm. had, you know, a doorknob handle and the pamphlets <laughs> and stuff like that. But the thing that caught the Internet's attention was this promotional poster with three of the central characters in a very odd pose, which some people say is similar to a uh, Roman statue called the Abduction or the kidnapping of the Sabine women. Sometimes it's translated as the rape of the Sabine women, but you know, that is in mm -hmm. the um, old Edith Hamilton era interpretation of that word, which means, you know, taking something as opposed to like sexual assault. And yes. so in that statue, there are three people sort of 
wrapped around each other in a tower, <laughs> so to speak. That was good. That was iconic. That was a real solid piece of marketing right it there. It is, because yeah. people didn't do started on, on yeah. social media, they started to reenact yeah. the pose in, in like anticipation for, oh man, they're just going for it this time. And then uh, nothing of the sort is truly present <laughs> in this film, particularly with those three characters in question who don't really have a whole lot of interrelation with one another. Maybe two of them do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of them is barely in it. One of them, literally, the director... And she never really direct interacts with either of the other characters in any meaningful way outside of the flashbacks. No, she's not in the, the pose. She's uh, not in the pyramid. You think she is, but no, it, it's, it's actually Gerard Way there, the, uh, you know, the singer <laughs> of My Chemical Romance, who is the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> Horribly underutilized. Oh, yeah, so... I mean, like, the most, like, ridiculous, like, concentrated anime fuckboy... The most chuny ass motherfucker anyone yes. has ever seen. Oh, I hated him so. Dressed much. up like a marching band uh, major, you know. Come on, you got to go somewhere with that. You could have at least hammed it up with that, but no. I don't know. He was pretty hammy. He was super hammy. I thought. Mm. Well, yeah, but I mean, they didn't really. He wasn't in that much of it. Well, no, he was introduced like forty-five minutes in, and they really didn't give him much like characterization. Well, zero. In the director's interview, he did describe the character as he's not really a character so much as a plot device. And I'm just like, oh, you're acknowledging the incredibly lazy writing. That's, uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, he, he feels like a character from another show. Right. I, I mean, yeah. he actually is supposed to be modeled after like this uh, British um, musician, like a drum and bass DJ or something like that. I don't remember. It's in the well, I mean, he literally looks exactly like Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance. Like uh, MCR even had a period when they were doing marching band shit. According to the interview with the director, he says Zoltan's based on Richie Houghton, who is a techno DJ from the 90s. Maybe it's just the hair, though. Mm -hmm. I don't usually like to be the uh, YouTuber talking about the logic of a movie and things not making sense. <laughs> but let's review, shall we? <laughs> the mission is... Oh, no, Daryl, are you becoming CinemaSins? Don't, I'm trying not to be, but let's just re recap. Listen, I, I just want to point out uh, something about, about Zoltan, the bad guy. We know... That he is a failed clone of Shah Aznabil, uh, like an unsuccessful version of what Full Frontal, Frontal, Frontal was. Shah Aznabil. Because in one scene, one character kind of offhandedly refers to him as the failed Red Comet. That's right. when the whole audience was supposed oh, to go, aha! I actually didn't, that, I didn't quite get that. I actually just oh, thought no that, one like... Did. <laughs> I didn't know that that's what that referred to. They just meant that he, like, wanted to be as cool as Shah. No, no, yeah. remember, yeah. Was a, there was a no, part where you were saying... No, he was part of the program that yielded okay. Full Frontal. Yeah. And we're supposed to catch that. So that was a thing, because you were asking about that, and you said, hey, wait a second, since when? And I said, oh, wait, keep watching. Uh, you just you just forgot, because it's been a month, and you're trying to scrub the memories of uh, you're watching this movie. Because <laughs> yeah. you started screaming over the mic, this conversation was happening. And I said, no, 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 settle down, Clarissa, wait, and you'll get the answers. And you did, and you're like, fuck this. <laughs> but... Now, before I get to the movie logic part, I will, because we've been talking about it, let's hear a bit from the director of this thing, gentleman by the name of Toshikazu Yoshizawa, who, and you'll be shocked to hear this, guys, but this is his directorial debut in anime. Uh, he never directed before until this, but he previously worked on Gundam Thunderbolt as an episode director and as Mike hinted at, Rekongista and G, worked on G-Reko. So he has long studied and worked with and been subject to Yoshiki Tomino's helpful suggestions about how to make anime. And Mike sort of mentioned this before, but he says, quote, there's one character that really stood out from the rest, Zoltan Akinen. Like how he hums a tune and his emotional turbulence. He's almost like a clown, a plot device character of sorts. 
We focused on illustrating a world where adults do not protect their children. His character is the embodiment of all the karma and sins that the adults carry in the society. And this is, in fact, linked to the various social issues of our present day world. He becomes, for better or for worse, a character with shady nuances. Yeah. He's a very I mean, shadyly nuanced character. Way too much credit. Adults yeah. being Shady. shitty is kind of an ongoing theme in Gundam. Sure. So, like I was saying, let's review the logic. What it is that they have to do? So the mission is to recover the Phoenix Gundam. It's a covert operation, a black op that no one's supposed to know either side is doing. So <laughs> what should we do? Ah, I know. Let's take a repaint of the big final boss character mobile suit from Gundam Unicorn so we can sell that again, only a different color. And uh, if stealth and discretion is key, let's assign the most unhinged psychopath <laughs> to yeah. this like, job. How did this guy get so high in like the Gundam ranks acting like he does? It's ridiculous. Maybe, you know, since he's like the failed clone, it's like maybe some sort of star scream effect of like, hey, <laughs> we know he's a shitty person, but he gets shit done. So let's keep him around. But, you know, they said, OK, well, let's assign a lady to monitor him and report back in in case, you know, he starts going, you know, nutso, which surprise, surprise, he starts going psychopathic and just decides that he's just going to be like a filler Naruto villain who's like, <laughs> I just want to kill everybody in existence, man. And his decision to do this is, uh, oh, yes, nothing. He just decides because he overhears the conversation of people talking behind his back. They don't like him. And so he decides he's going to kill everything in existence. Uh, that's the, the way that this character works. L let me save you some time. If it's not being facetious enough, characters in Gundam narrative are absolute ass and don't actually get any development. And so the development that they do get in terms of these flashbacks is just the equivalent of Forrest Gump being present during like some sort of major historical <laughs> yes. event they just kind of splice them in i had to look up all of their names again because they, they were so boring that i couldn't remember any of their names you could only describe them by how they look not even by like their character they're just i don't know like they're they're so bland yeah some of the ideas are like okay some of these robots are kind of cool like the idea of the narrative as being like just the skeleton thing that they put different packs on to equip it is similar to stuff they did in Iron Blooded Orphans and Seed and things like that. But of mm -hmm. course, well, it's I also mean, cynically you know, the, we can sell more toys. The narrative is kind of cool. You know, it, it has wired fin funnels instead of the wireless ones. And that might seem like a yeah. step back, but you get much better reception. I mean, I think the <laughs> yes, no, believe it or not, though, in the interviews, the guy's talking about Wi-Fi. The design of the suits is rarely the weak point in any Gundam. They always get top class people. The mobile suit battles in this are pretty prime stuff. They're real solid. Oh, yes. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. this is something that will look great on Blu-ray. I hope that's the pull quote for this episode. Not the rest of it. Just that line out of context. But it will look it will yeah. like I think there are portions of this movie where it's like, OK, you can tell that they're animators who like this is their thing. And we've talked long about how mecha animation is kind of this dying thing. But this is Sunrise Studio One. And these are the people who made Gundam. And so you get the maniacs who mm -hmm. will put yep. in the time because you mentioned that Mike and I went to the premiere of this in the theater. I don't know yeah. if you were there for the pre-roll, Mike. But before the movie started, for these things, they have these like little introductions and interviews and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, I do want to mention, this was such a weird release. It was one night, one day, one showing, dub only. Fathom events, yeah. Real weird. 
They do that a lot now. And those things are money makers, man. Those all go out over a video on demand network. They don't even mm-hmm. send out DCPs and mm-hmm. they turn a very low spend into a few hundred thousand bucks and get people talking about the movie ahead of the home video release. It's a win-win. So finish your story and then I'll let Mike give his experience. I do think it was weird that your one showing is that you didn't do like what a lot of them do where they'll have like a dub and a sub showing because people mm-hmm. who will go to a Gundam movie on a weeknight usually want to see the sub. But yeah. I have to give them credit for this. Like they went out of their way in these pre-rolls. They had some interviews with the staff and yeah. they showed like the animators hand drawing the Gundams and they were super proud of this. And I yeah. really got my hopes up because I'm like, I like when they do it by hand and when like the, they don't resort to the CG and it looked super nice and so i have to give them credit for that yeah and yeah there is some 3d cg and like they intermeld it again just like what they did with the unicorn but i would say by and large it looks quite good except for parts when it does not and there's (laughs) parts where it's obvious like even the people making this movie did not care very much about the character animation (laughs) uh yeah yeah there's there's definitely some character work that was just like yeah they just wanted to get through the scene they didn't go back and fix it What I was going to say was, I don't know what your experience was, Gerald, in the theater I saw it at. It was sold out, mm. and it, it had been sold out for weeks before the screening. Mine uh, wasn't sold out, but there was a good crowd there. I mean, it was definitely, you know, a crowd of people who you look at them from a distance and knew they were Gundam fans. Yep. But, I mean, it was a good experience, and I mean, I felt so bad because, like, one of the pre-roll <laughs> things they had was interviews with the dub actors, and these yep. poor dub actors, they had to sound excited about this movie. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And a lot of that material is uh, in the extra section on the Blu-ray. Good. So that, I'm glad that they included so that, it. So that stuff was retained. I did have the wonderful experience of every time the movie fell on its face, like you had this very loud, pronounced, disappointed, <laughs> from the audience. Yeah, like the sound that Gerald made when we went and saw League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Sean Connery said, yeah. or should I say, Professor James Moriarty? And Gerald made this, sound. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know how you know you go to see a big blockbuster movie and the, the theater's full and everyone uh, applauds rapturously when the closing credits. Yeah, this time this was just a long consternated. Uh... Oh no! Yeah, then the entire theater trooped out because everyone then had to yeah. vent right then and there. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. We stood directly in front of the entrance to the theater, like yelling at the top of our lungs at each other. And then there was this wonderful <laughs> moment where one of us was just like, you know, there's other movies playing. We're being way too loud. We should go to the outer lobby. And we went maybe ten steps towards the outer lobby, and then stopped and resumed, you know, bickering about it. <laughs> I went by myself, and so all I could do was just yell at myself like a crazy man. Yeah. Vent on Twitter, actually. And it was, now yeah. I'm just imagining Gerald pacing back and forth outside the theater, like yes, <laughs> yes, moving my hands up and down like a crazy man. <laughs> it was very interesting because I was watching like the Twitter stream because you know we got it all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, everybody so saw this. It, they experienced it simultaneously thanks to the Fathom event. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I saw these tweets on there where people were saying, like, I went to this movie and I didn't really understand anything, but I haven't seen much Gundam. So that was probably the reason. And I w- responded to them <laughs> and I said, you understanding Gundam had nothing to do with how bad this movie was. Like, I understand what's going on here. And it I made- understood it fully. <laughs> and I, yes. that's just made me more <laughs> angry. <laughs> 
Yes. But, but well, like, let's before I read this next exciting quote from Haratoshi Fukui, I would like to get a roundtable trivia question, almost like when Gerald does his trivia episode soon. Oh. Why do you think the significance of this movie being called Gundam Narrative? Why would they call it Gundam Narrative? What is the narrative in question, or what, what, what do you suppose well, they decided? I mean, I figured it was just because that's the suit. The narrative suit? But there's a reason for Michelle, when she was developing the suit with her super secret shadow company, calling it narrative. Ah. It is mentioned in the source book. But it also, well, it abbreviates to NT, which sounds like new type, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. So, Gerald, what do you, what's, what's your thoughts? Well, in my notes here, I actually wrote down, because this pissed me off so much, was a line in it where they said, the narrative gets top priority. And I just wrote next to that, no, it doesn't. <laughs> So it's called Gundam Narrative, and the narrative Gundam doesn't get top priority. And figuratively, like in terms of storytelling, narrative as a concept does not get top priority either. Nope. And so... Nope. Nope. You know what the narrative Gundam gets? It gets a couple of those grabby things that are in the as-seen-on-TV ads that old people with bad backs use. That's what that... that, (laughs) Those are its main weapons. That's its gimmick. (laughs) But Haratoshi Fukui carefully explains... You know, they asked him, why is it called Gundam Narrative? And he says, aha, well, narrative has the nuance of to relate or to retell or to compile. So it's to retell, to compile the story of new types. And at this point, I chop down the backdrop like Jack Nicholson or H-Bomber guy <laughs> in the background. I say, that's just one problem, Haratoshi Fukui. That's not what the nuance of the word narrative is. That's the nuance of the word narrate. <laughs> You're talking about what it is to narrate something. That's not what narrative means. And and, and so like this whole thing is this deal where there's this moment where everything, I would say about 45 minutes or so into the movie where they hit you with it, where they say, here's what's going on for real. This is where Haratoshi Fukui has the nerve to say like, oh, well, this is just Michelle's thoughts on the matter. No, no, no. This is. Your thoughts on the matter, Haratoshi Fukui, self-inserted <laughs> by way of this proxy character, a.k.a. why you wrote this thing. And it's not just one person's thoughts, because not a single person raises their voice in objection to this, where they lay out why we're doing this, why it's so important. And it's because, you see, what truly defines new types is the ability to speak with the dead, and if you can speak with the uh. dead, then <laughs> yep. nobody has to truly ever be dead. And you can take the spirits of people and put them into other people's bodies. Because remember when I wrote Gundam Unicorn and remember the end of Shaw's Counterattack, a movie from 1988, 30 plus years ago. Remember that ending shot of that piece of the psycho frame shaped like a T that goes spinning away. And there's a little green trail of dust in there. When my light novel, damn it, which I put this in they recovered that piece and they found that there were the souls of new types in there and we could get the soul of Shaw Osnabel and put it into the bodies of clones and clone literally Shaw Osnabel and there's this one problem Haratoshi Fukui none of that was in Gundam Unicorn the anime that got made that was just in your fucking book <laughs> yep uh, what are new types now? What the fuck is it? It was a new in type? Gundam NT it was in Gundam new NT types, that we learned I guess are just whatever the fuck they want them to be at the moment we learned that Full Frontal was not just a blank slate. No, he was literally possessed by the ghost of Shar Osnabel. And the ghost of Shar Osnabel used Full Frontal's body to build a new Neo Jiang. Oh, that's right. Which is one of the bad guy suits. And it took the person who gave us Bible Black to say, nope, we're not doing that shit. We're just having yep. a guy. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just going to be a guy who is cloned from Char's genetic material and has the very tacit, interesting answer when someone asks him, are you Char? When Banerjee asks him, are you Char? He says, right now, the world needs Char, so I will be Char for the world. And like, yeah, that's an interesting answer. It's not, hmm. I am possessed by the ghost of Char Osnovel in space. It's not like up. We took oh. a strand of Superman's hair and made Bizarro, and he is now <laughs> yeah. therefore also imbued with the knowledge of being Clark Kent. No, it doesn't right. work that way. If you're gonna write the spirit of Shaw Asdable coming back, like it needs to also be heavily about Amaru. Well, what if you were J.J. Yeah. Abrams and, and you Lala. decided you need a villain for a movie, yeah. and so your answer was, what if there was a clone of Emperor Palpatine who nobody knew yeah. about and we haven't <laughs> mentioned for the other things that we've built up? Oh, wait, that happened. Uh, this actually, like, bothers me hugely for, like, what is going to come after this? Like, if they're going to look at this as, like, okay, we have to follow the rules of this for new types... Because I always got the impression that new types had, like, kind of a psychic ability there, like a light psychic ability. They had some precognitive abilities. They could kind of yes. sense each other when they were in proximity. That, like, that, to me, what, what that was what a new type was. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they were very, very good pilots. Like, that was the yeah. end. Right. That was it. They understood how to move in space in, in any kind right. of vehicle. They, right. they could conceptualize the 3D space and, and work quickly with yeah. it. Yeah, and, like, very sensitive yeah. and empathetic because they're able to yeah. like right. connect You can just people. instantaneously know somebody or understand somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And now, because of this freaking movie, they're like gods. Like, <laughs> what the hell, man? You like, know, Gerald, a real back. robot is all about the militaristic application <laughs> where the power is in the pilot, where it's a stupid robot, the power is in the machine, and all that's out the fucking window now. Or maybe it's to the nth degree well, now because new types are now Super Saiyan God level 10. Right, like bullshit. We learn that one of these characters in this movie is is deceased, and the Gundam that they're chasing is piloted by a ghost. Now, if the, if that character is deceased and she is still conscious in space, does that make her a space ghost? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if only George Lowe were, you know, still kicking and, and yeah, this were like... George Lowe played the voice of Rita. Yes. <laughs> yep. I wish I were a bird. <laughs> yeah. How are you today? Fine, I hope thank I you. I to be a bird. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, that makes me so, so annoying because I thought I, I thought I understood what new types were. Also, I thought it was pretty simple. Yeah. It really doesn't even matter that that character is dead because she never had a personality anyway. She is an yep. ideal She's waifu. She's basically Chan. just a, a symbol. Yep. The actress for her in Japan, they got like a high schooler for it and she just said, uh, here again, this is a voice actor. I'm not going to drag her across the coals. This is like a teenage kid. But she says, if you watch it once, you get a feel for the basic story. Well, this happens and that happens. Then you watch the movie a second time, you know what everyone was living for. And you know that you might go, ah, this is what Michelle's thinking here. Or, oh, Rita knew all along. Or, oh, Jonah's so ignorant. And if you watch it with that knowledge, you know, there's a lot of dialogue with subtext. It's really heartbreaking. So if you watch it again, you think, oh, that's what they meant. No offense. I'm glad that you got a major part in a movie and all that and what have you. I've seen this movie at least three or four times now, and I don't know if watching it more is like, oh, now I understand. It's like, no, no, no. It, <laughs> the more I see it, it's like, man, obviously the meds have worn off. Things I find interesting about this movie have nothing to do with characterization and dialogue. 
No. No. One of the no. fight scenes they have is in a colony that is a college colony. And, like, that detail is interesting to me. It's like, oh, they made a whole colony into a higher education institute? Oh, man. Oh, God, the predatory college lending industry is still alive? Well, here's <laughs> what I think about that, Mike. Mm-hmm. I feel, and I've mentioned this offhand before, about Haruto Shifukui, that he seems to have some uh, right-leaning tendencies. A lot of those guys do now. It's, it's interesting how that, that script's been flipped. Yep. Because, yeah, anime started off as like a place for, you know, leftist progressives who are, you know, blacklisted Mm -hmm. from film industry. So they went into cartoons. That's your Takahata and Miyazaki and Mm -hmm. Oshii generation. And now there's Mm -hmm. a lot more rightward leaning sort of people getting to anime. But I feel, and this is pure fan hypothesis speculation on my part, that Harto Shifukui watched the original Gundam. And he really had an axe to grind with one particular character by the name of Cameron Bloom. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Cameron Bloom, everybody? No. Yeah, that was, uh, that was Mirai's fiance, right? Oh. So yeah, Mirai's fiance yeah. in the third movie. Yeah, I think it was the third movie. But point is, he was in the original Gundam series. And the thing with Cameron Bloom was this. He was a pacifist. He was in yep. the Gundam colony that was trying to be neutral inside six when the war broke out. He fled to the side mm-hmm. six and, you know, Mirai went to side seven. And then when the war happens, you know, he basically kind of gets cucked because, you know, Mirai is with Bright now. And there is a scene in the TV series where Mirai was supposed to be having goodbye, but do an animation error. It looked like she was giving him the finger and <laughs> they kind of went and cleaned that up for the movie. But to a generation of people of a certain persuasion, Cameron Bloom is like the soy boy of Gundam such that, you know, in Shaw's counterattack, he shows up again when Shaw is doing the deal to buy, you know, the colony with gold and he has to have like this sort of awkward conversation with Bright. So how's, how's Mirai doing? How's your wife? He's like, oh, well, I got two kids now. And I'm like, oh yeah, see. And then kind of meekly shuffles away, never seen again. Harto Shifukui was like, fuck Cameron Bloom. Fuck these (laughs) side six wannabes. I'm going to fuck that shit up. And so that's why you have this whole scene of like, the whole college town being blown up. I did like the fact that the you know the commanding officer there, Iago, did have the sense to be like, why are we bringing mobile suits into a colony again? <laughs> Guys, this is a terrible idea. Every goddamn time we do this, we blow a hole in it. And then, of course, that immediately happens. Look, as long as there's a good guy with a Gundam. <laughs> yeah, yes. Exactly. Yes. As long as there's someone talking about what they should do, and then there's incredible <laughs> violence. Yeah. Worked on G-Reco. And then, of course, yeah. Zoltan shows up and just callously blows a hole in it. Yeah. yeah. He immediately starts firing on the on the town just to annoy them. Like, yeah, the one thing you shouldn't do, don't fire any of your weapons. <laughs> yeah. Not even Bellary, where he's like, starts shooting and missing and then blames it on the person for dodging or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he's just a psychopath. Completely so. And then they pull out of their hat the fact that you can psychomujack someone, and everyone's just like, oh, you got psychomujacked, and now you can't control yourself. It's like, since when <laughs> was this an established thing? Uh, I guess as of right now, like, there's so much license taken from the fact that in Shaz Counterattack, there was a thing called the psychomu or the psychoframe that would amplify new type abilities. And that is such an 80s thing, too. That is such a goofy 80s conceit. Let you do things like, say, control the funnels. And now that's become yeah. the equivalent of like your uh, William Gibson uploading your consciousness into the cloud cyberpunk thing. <laughs> you know, if you have the psycho frame that this lets you do all sorts of magic shit. 
And that also ties to the central thing that Michelle is after. You know, she wants to use the power of new types and the psycho frame to control time itself. Yes, that's right. Because not just oh, the fact that you talk to people, you can actually go back in time and control time and space. And yeah. like nobody raises their hand and says, uh, what the fuck are you talking about, Michelle? Yeah, like, yeah I still don't like, understand Michelle, how like the nonsense. ability to talk to dead people translates into time travel. Hey, listen, I'm going to use my Gundam to ascend to a higher plane to commune with the deceased, and then I will track down Frank Herbert, and I will make him keep writing Dune novels. Not because right. I want don't more Dune sequels. Kids, I just think Herbert. you should have to keep making them. You gotta just, yep. you know, do Dune yourself, and that way those shitty Dune sequels, we can ignore them, and everything would be great, Frank Herbert's ghost, whom I'm talking to through the psycho frame and the power of uh, the tears of time. And here's, like, the most egregious thing about Gunman Narrative, is that the conclusion of it is the biggest nothing matters ever. Because... The whole time, you're like sort of waiting for Itchy and Scratchy to get to the fireworks factory, <laughs> and then all Poochie the yeah. dog is doing. Like We were talking about the Fathom Events things, right, with the premiere. I went and I saw the Shaw's counterattack one, which was uh, a little afterwards. I was disappointed mm-hmm. because they didn't even have the decency to give us the 4K restoration of Shaw's counterattack. They took the Blu-ray that was 1080p. They literally just took the Blu-ray, yeah. And hit yeah. play yeah. on it, and it doesn't look I, I went super to that, good. too. I was, I was disappointed because they played Shaw's counterattack, but go on. <laughs> well, hold on, because I'm getting to that, Gerald. The thing about Shaw's counterattack that struck out to me on this rewatch was all the super iconic moments of Shaw's counterattack that are immortalized forever in video games and sequels and things like that are the opening scene and the last 15 minutes of the picture and the other 100 minutes of shit nobody fucking cares about, nobody talks about, except for maybe the horse battle between Amaro and Shaw, uh, you know, when they're on the colony. That's a good part. And then the rest of it is characters nobody fucking cares about, Yagune and Quest Pariah and Hathaway and what have you, doing nothing. We paid our money to see the final confrontation between Amaro and Shaw, between Federation and Zeon, and that's what we got, and that's what everyone talks about just in those 15 minutes. Well, the finale of Gundam narrative was, you know, okay, we got to go bigger than Unicorn and say that somehow this is going to result in a Alfonso Coron gravity scenario, or if you blow this stuff up, it's going to send all this debris to planet Earth and be worse than any colony drop. And where's all the heroes of Gundam Unicorn? Well, surprise, surprise, they show up at the end and save the day. And the Garen Sears Jr. because, oh, yeah, Haruto Shifuku is like, yeah, that shit blew up in Gundam Unicorn, didn't it? Oh, well, here's the other one that we didn't <laughs> tell you about exists. They had a backup. It looks exactly the same. We got a, a separate yeah. copy. And then the hero of Gundam Unicorn, Bonahair Lynx, shows up, saves the day, basically, you know, Prez Bhutan. And, and that's basically it. Gets one line and it concludes by saying, you know what? What we said at the beginning, we lied. The Unicorn Gundam has not been dismantled. We got it right here. Tucked away for safekeeping. The Unicorn Gundam will return in a sequel that is yet to be made. Stay tuned, kids. (laughs) Christ. (sighs) None of this stuff ends up mattering. It's 100% side story incidental. Before I showed you guys Gundam narrative, I showed you guys something else called Twilight Axis which was a web Mm. series that was conceived also like as promotion for just the Universal Century stuff, 
real solid stuff that it's impossible to frickin' find information about because that's how Sunrise manages Gundam for some reason. It's like you can't find stuff. No. Well, you have to see it for the two weeks that we give it to you for free, and then it's gone. That you never know about. Yeah, it's on streaming for six hours. (laughs) Yeah. Watch it then, and that's it. One thing did occur to me the second time I saw this film. They gave it out for a weekend for free in March, and it was my birthday weekend. And I saw it on March 14th. And you know, guys, that was it. That was the last normal day. (laughs) At least for me, before the pandemic. Before the pandemic (laughs) was rewatching Gundam Narrative. Is Gundam Narrative to blame? Yes. Yeah, well. Actually. (laughs) You know, I, I just... I have a couple of friends who were obsessed with the notion of what was your last normal day? And now I know my last normal day was chilling out watching uh, Gundam narrative. I'm and, so uh, sorry. Wondering if my birthday party was going to happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> uh. Gundam is about war. And so there's value in the idea that people keep making the same stupid mistakes and the same shit happens. And sometimes as annoying as it is, like, despite the fact that horrible shit happens, people refuse to learn from it. But there's a difference between telling a story with that theme and just making things that don't matter. Right. Because nothing changes. This is 90 minutes of there's going to be a sequel to Gundam Unicorn, guys. That's basically it. Yeah. Because it's a covert op. Okay, well, it doesn't really significantly change the world. Oh, you blew up another colony. Okay, who cares? Just college kids, mostly on vacation. But, you know, still a lot of collateral damage because fuck those liberals or whatever. You know, (laughs) was their mentality. Destroying a colony to own the libs. I mean, you know, stranger things have happened uh, (laughs) in our reality. But, like, so much of Gundam narrative is characters you've never seen talking about events that you should be aware of that you cared about more that we'll probably never see again. And if we do, why do we even care? Because now the real crew is here sort of thing. It just is so inconsequential. It's so for completionists only. And mm-hmm. the fact that this is like the Vanguard in the UC Next 100 project, I'm highly concerned. Like maybe not so That's much bizarre. about Hathaway's yeah. Flash yeah. because at least there's some precedent for that as unlikable as yeah. Hathaway was in Shots Counterattack. That story existed and was told. And yeah, I'm sure they'll expand the hell out of it. And I have more faith in the director of that and the writer of that because they took similarly questionable source material and made the Gundam Unicorn anime. So yeah, we at least have those. What about everything afterwards? Because this made money. They're going to look at this and say Gundam narrative is the way. Well, what are you talking about, dude? I mean, I'm looking at the figures for it because I wanted to see how much it made in North America. It pulled in a quarter million dollars here. Yeah, not North America. In Japan, uh, the box office total that I'm reading says $5 million. It doesn't seem like that much. I mean, I guess it's not your name money, but like, as far as how much can we sell to people in their 30s, 40s? Well, the thing is, I think it cleaned up because it sold a lot of model kits. That's what I think. Exactly. Yeah. They are nice. I own a Phoenix. Yeah. That's how nice that Phoenix is. Yeah. I'll say this about the model kits, though. Even the model kits, aside from the narrative, which gets such short shrift in a movie that's named after it... Yeah. are effectively all just repaints of existing ones. Like, up oh, here's mm-hmm. another Sinanju. Here's another yeah. variant mm-hmm. of this thing that Hajime Kotoki did that was originally in something. Where, here, here it is. The Ziyang 2 again. Here's like a repaint. Yeah, the Ziyang 2, yeah. yeah. It's all just that stuff. What does Benazir show up in again at the end? He's, he, he even. It's got a pretty cool name. It's, I gotta look it up. But it's still like an alternate version of an existing suit, Yeah, right? it's a repaint. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The silver bullet suppressor. That's right. 
Yeah, that is a good name. And it certainly looks like a cool thing I'd love to play in a Super Robot Wars game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But again, it shows up, it fires its gun one time, and that's it. It does more <laughs> for resolving things than what other people do for the course of this movie. And so much of it seems like it's phoned in. Even the music, because yeah. the, the score of this is by... A guy I tend to like a lot, Hiroyuki Sawano, but it's got to be one of the least inspiring Hiroyuki Sawano scores yeah. ever. Yeah, yeah, that didn't stand out to me at all. I thought some of the tracks during the, the action scenes were okay. Like They were okay, but, but when, that was, when those vocals kick in and you're like, oh, this is definitely a Hiroyuki Sawano score, all I could think about was, I bet if you took this exact song and just swapped it out with a Sawano song from, say... Guilty Crown or Al Noah Zero or Recreators or something no one cares about. Nobody would notice because yeah. they all kind of sound yeah. same-ish. And unless it's something that you can really like associate with like a kill a kill moment or a pro mare moment or Gundam Unicorn, the original or Attack on Titan, like that sort of thing. This guy kind of has like a mode. It's not like he's super duper versatile. I mean, he is versatile, but like mm-hmm. he has a style. He's yeah. got he's got a style, but it's not yeah. like say like when the song kicks in in Thunderbolt Fantasy, you know it's Thunderbolt Fantasy. When the song <laughs> kicks in in Gundam Narrative, you're like, have I heard this song before? <laughs> yeah. You were saying that you found this concerning that this was kind of phoned in, Daryl. Yeah. My thing is there was a lot of momentum to Gundam before we got this. Uh, Unicorn I think was pretty successful, just from an artistic standpoint, even though it kind of went on too long. Thunderbolt I think kicked everyone's ass. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Gundam the Origin, real solid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of residual goodwill from Gundam Build Fighters before they wrecked it with Build Divers uh, pretty recently. The first season was really good and then the later build was like, okay, a yeah. little too spot the reference. Yeah, and again, the kids loved IBO. I think they were really doing a good job of cultivating a new global audience and then they thwack him over the head with this really mm. and this was supposed to be the big marquee moment yeah it's strange man yeah given how good thunderbolt was it's like i want to have some hope for new uc things but part of me is like i feel like if they're gonna do any more uc i'd either have it be like stupid comedy things like gundam son or like maybe they should just start doing like weird alternate like not MSV. like the AU Gundams that we have, but like the equivalent of like those like Marvel what if comics or whatever. It's like <laughs> that's kind of what MSV is. It's all the stories that didn't make the original anime, mm. and like the weird prototype suits. Yeah, I wrote this down, and I know that I'm the only person who would be annoyed by this, only because this sort of writing annoys me in uh, Gundam NT. But there was this line where one guy where. Like they're rushing out to the mech and it says like the narrative booster pack uses universal specs, right? And this pissed me off so much because they just say that just so they can attach a booster to it. Why don't they just say it's so he can take the booster that was from the narrative and put it onto his own side grunt thing so he can get to the fight. I got I got that that, part, (laughs) but there are other parts of the script where they'll just offhandedly say something. And I'm thinking, how is anyone supposed to parse what that means like i can i can do it just because i'm a maniac you parsed that line and i know about gundam and you I don't still have to know about gundam like, though like in, in that case he's just talking about he's some random schlub side character who you think is going to get killed and therefore you have some concern because he's like a person who's like an average grunt caught up in this shit and he's just like well what do i do in the midst of this conflict oh that narrative because it's got a bunch of spare shit lying around all he's asking is, can I take that and use it myself? And then say that. He did say that. You don't need any lore or any knowledge of anything <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, it's less about Gundam and more about just the context. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, annoyed by that type of writing. If the spec's universal and then he shows up next scene with the other robot's booster, 
that's not that type of writing. That's just what words in English mean. The whole movie is full of, like, worse stuff than that. Just throwaway lines. That's not throwaway. That's just so we don't ask how he can do that. I think really the stuff is like, why does Zoltan go completely insane? Like at first he's like kind of a hammy sort of kefka kind of guy. And then he overhears a conversation. It's like, well, I'm going to kill you off camera because he can't show violence against women in a theatrical film. And then I'm going to be jealous that I'm a failed clone of Shaw, even though I've been saying that all along. And I'm going to blow up the world. He might be the worst Gundam villain. He might be. Like, he's certainly in the running. He's so bad. He's such shit that the fans have decided that he's ironically good, actually. And they've decided to embrace him as like this chuny sort of thing. And there's this great extra on the Blu-ray. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which is written by Hartoshi Fukui himself, by the way. He wrote it a week after the movie came out which is Zoltan Akinen explains the universal century in three minutes. <laughs> and it actually is really funny because he's got like a bunch of descriptions and a bunch of like really memeable captioned images of like descriptions of like the characters in previous Gundam. But again, it's an exercise in, hey, remember Gundam? This sure was fun. <laughs> That's basically the point of it. A lot of the reason why people like Gundam is the villains, they're definitely villains, but there's more layers to them usually. Like, they're not usually villains just for the sake of being bad or psychopaths. They're usually villains out of necessity or something works for them. Or circumstance. Mm. Circumstance, yeah. Well, right, but again, it's like all of the characters in this are really flat and just yeah. don't really have any kind of depth whatsoever. None of them do. Even, like, the hero characters who you're supposed to say, like, oh, this guy's conflicted or, oh, you know, these people are racked with guilt that they faked being new types for years because their friend was a new type and could touch them and make them temporarily be a new type with some residual it's like since <laughs> fucking when and that's something you can fake really easily yes yeah, so, yeah i yeah. can fake you know being it's like okay yeah you can have be a fortune teller on the street but these are people who've got all this fucking electro hooked up to them who are drug because you know we, there's this cyber new type thing that's been going on throughout the rest of universal century gundam and oh, surprise, surprise, it's not just for one side anymore. The other side did it too, and they got their own facility. Ha <laughs> ha. You would think that they would quickly figure out, actually, these are just regular ass people. But no, they did not ever figure that out because it was all a secret and a lie. And I've got one more exceptional quote here that is mind blowing that they had the audacity to actually believe this. So here is a quote from Haratoshi Fukui once again. There's a female character named Michelle. She was thrown into an inhuman facility, much like the Auschwitz, and survived the Auschwitz. That's his phrasing. And what does she hope for the world after having survived? This is one of the critical points of the story. Nowadays, compared to when Gundam was first made, the world has become a stifling place to live in as human beings. In such times, it's hard for people to relate to messages that are only positive and affirmative. Why should humans continue to live after experiencing such dreadful pain? This story takes a deep dive into the essential question through Michelle's character, so please pay attention to her. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, sure. That's uh, unfortunate wording. Unfortunate everything. What, you, you think uh, that because like she's totally just like the Jews, man... That she sold out the other Jews, man, to get money. And it's all part of the project to time travel and speak with the dead. 
everyone just nods along. It's like, yep, that's why we've been sent along on this death mission black op. And we're just going to go with that. And uh, no one is going to immediately upon you saying that subdue you and then be like, fuck it. We're out. Hey, listen, man, if we can transplant our souls to Gundams, then murder won't be a crime anymore. Yeah. <laughs> There's some dialogue from some of those characters when they're talking about the uh, resurrective abilities of the psycho frame. It's like that's like a drill tweet in dialogue. form. That's... <laughs> yep. That's Gundam narrative. Like, I'm shocked that there's enough people who actually think this is good. Yes, there's some moments of inspired animation. There's some moments where you possibly have a good idea, but nothing frustrates me more than what's potentially a good idea handled really, really badly. Well, there's an uncomfortable truth here. That uncomfortable truth is something that I, I just noticed recently. If you look at the Gundam movies that were not compilation movies, but were made specifically and entirely for the big screen, there are no really good ones. No. Mm. At best, they're kind of okay. They're all things that were meant to be something that yeah. were either drawn out or one. cut down into F-91. a movie. Yeah. G-Savior, man. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, the, the Awakening of a Trailblazer. They were all movies that had some good things to them, but were not really very good movies. I'm concerned that this one seems like such a horrible idea, like even on paper. Oh, yeah. This is the kind of movie where I would have gotten in trouble if I had written a review of it for Anime News Network because I would have spent the entire time by name calling out all the people who made it and saying, why did Harutoshi Fukui write this screenplay and then say to himself, okay, that's good. I think we're done here. Right. Yeah. How could you say that? Someone had to approve these things and like yeah. they approved that now this is how Gundams work. This is how new types work. In Harutoshi Fukui's mind, he thinks it's supposed to be one person speculation. Unfortunately, that is not what happens here because there is nothing to cast possible aspersion to it. There's no other character saying, actually, no, or there's no other event that says maybe it's not that way. It's just the equivalent of, like I said, Liam Neeson declaring with his Jedi authority that this is how Jedi work. And you have to have little bacteria things called midichlorians in you. And you've got a high count for that. And mm -hmm. that's just how it is. That's effectively what happens here. He's got a quote where he thinks he did what you said, but he did not. He says, in this movie, we deal with subject of new types. We venture into territory that the previous series didn't. I think there are pros and cons to that. That said, it's not material that I came up with on my own. If you infer from the previous material, it's the logical conclusion. Michelle explains it halfway through. And I hope people who have seen the older Gundams will go, oh, if you think about it, that makes sense. Oh, my God. Again, this is Harutoshi Fukui getting into nerd fights over Gundam for decades, being like, I think that this is how the force works, or this is how new types work, and this is how the psycho frame, what it really is. And the real answer is that Yoshiki Tomino didn't fucking think about these things. He just was like, I just need something to do some shit. And that's exactly how George Lucas thought when he was like, I just need something to do some shit. I think this is the problem... This seems like the problem when you don't establish rules for your energy power thing early on and say like, okay, they can't do this or they can do this or there's the negative consequences of doing this. Or the problem is when people just take this shit way too seriously. Yes. And that's demand all this logical consistency from something that's not really intended to be logically consistent. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's where I agree with Clarissa's viewpoint on that. This is a side effect of fandom 
more than it is a side effect of the work in and of itself, where people aren't willing to accept certain things. So it's like, no, you have to codify it. It has to be, these are the rules. It has to be like, I'm making my tabletop RPG of how Demon City Shinjuku works. And therefore... I have to say, and this is a real book, by the way, of how exactly the world of Demon City Shinjuku is supposed to operate based on <laughs> logic. It's fine if you want to do that as a fan exercise. As a fan exercise and pursuit. Yes. Yeah, but like you can't necessarily tie the entire franchise to that. Yeah, you can't then go and declare post hoc, this is how it works and you shall not deviate from it because... Like you're talking about like, here's the nuts and bolts of how this stuff is. And you leave no possible way for someone to say, well, maybe that's just how that character thought it was. And she went off the deep end this way thinking that, but it turned out that maybe she might be wrong. That level of nuance isn't there. Like you can say, you can make a movie about the Joker. And in that movie, you can cast aspersions to be like, well, is this really this? Or is this really what happened? So that people didn't get mad at that movie for saying, how dare you reveal the origin of the Joker? Because there's all this stuff in there that kind of like throws a, well, maybe not. Or maybe this happened or maybe it was this. Uh, And so Mm -hmm. that's really, if you're going to tell a story about the nuance of something that is inherently abstract, like the Tamino concept of new types, that's really where you need to, go but this guy's a light novelist and light novels don't deal in that light novels deal in here's all the rules of my fantasy world and it's really innate and really elaborate and when you spend hours and hours reading through 30 different light novels you find out that the rule set is you play dragon quest (laughs) (laughs) well i think that's true of a certain class of light novels but maybe not necessarily i mean when i think of light novels i think of like people who play stuff or yeah yeah. way too many mmos and are like, okay, well, I'm just going to take the video games I played and make that be the rule set of this world that I explain in detail. But yeah, I mean, Gundam narrative is something that is the epitome of filler. It's yeah. not going to matter. If it does matter, I'm going to be very, very concerned. It is for completionists only. Yeah, it better not matter. Is better stuff exists. Yeah. It better yeah. not be like the, hey, remember this thing that happened in Gundam Narrative? This better not be the start of a big new franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And if you're going to make something that's filler, if the thing about filler is, I was thinking of the filler comparison, just because, again, like with filler, you have to do something that can take up time, but you're limited in what you can do in terms of having things significantly change. But there's ways that you can do that that are less shitty than others. If that's ultimately what you're doing, why don't you use that time to like look in more detail at some of the characters that already exist or fill in some details of other stuff from earlier instead of this kind of bullshit where it's pointless filler about characters that nobody gives a shit about because they have no real personality. And is actively, like, kind of damaging to Gundam as a whole, especially if it wants to adhere to the rules that this thing is writing. Hey, man, listen, my Gundam is a bird. Your argument (laughs) is invalid. Argument is invalid. Yes. Really, that was the joke everyone was making as soon as this king came out was the Azamanga Dio jokes, and we're definitely going to open with this and possibly close with that as well. I got a little derailed earlier. I was beginning to mention Twilight Axis. That was a thing made for the web that was just like a series of like things that are about two or three minutes long about two characters who were incidental 
minor characters who weren't important, but they would have little bits with flashbacks to show, hey, I am of some importance because, oh, I was the mechanic for Shaw or I was, you know, involved in this and you didn't know. But it's this little story about these minor characters. And I grade it on a curve because it was a thing released just for the web, just to like promote other stuff. And then they combined them all together into one like 25 minute thing. And I showed it to Gerald and Clarissa right before Gundam Narrative because Gundam NT was originally conceived to be something just like that. Yeah. And they effectively extended it out to be that. And what is acceptable as like a 20 minute thing, just as like, I'll hear a little thing on our website is suddenly not acceptable when you blow it up into a 90 minute feature film that is supposed to now be a window to, Hey, if you've never seen Gundam before, go ahead and start here. And it's like, look, I would never show somebody who'd never seen Gundam before. Twilight oh my Access. God, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a little treat for people who are already fans, who are already going to your Gundam.info website to find out some stuff. Here's a thing. Oh, this is cool. All right. Here's some people recovering the salvage of the wrecked Sazabi at the end. You know, like that's okay, cool. But not like, hey, here's Gundam narrative where it's like, all right, here am I, a soldier who happened to be a witness to the end of Shaw's counterattack in this phenomenon. And I'm now going to stop in the middle of the climax and relay that this happened. And then we're going to play footage from Shaw's counterattack <laughs> at this very moment yep, yep. of this thing happening. <sighs> yes. A film from Yoshiki Tomino, 1988 Shaw's counterattack. It's great on sale now available wherever it's like, <laughs> all right, we get it. I would be shocked if that worked for like a brand new fan. Yeah. No. But obviously it's not for them. I had a similar criticism for Gundam Unicorn when it came out, like the first episode, very accessible to people who'd never seen Gundam as it progressed. It's okay. Yeah. You probably need to know some Gundam background to know this mm-hmm. as it goes on to like, know quite what they're talking about. It's not a hundred percent obtuse, but yeah, you definitely need to get the significance of like this big scene at the end or like where they're doing this. Yeah, you probably need to know who Amaro Ray is and who Shah Aznabal is and who was Lala Soon and, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. This one, mm-hmm. there's not a chance throughout the entirety of it because nothing is explained or contextualized really other than like, no. oh, they were survivors of Operation British or what have you. Yeah. And what's Operation British? We're not explaining. Just keep going. Hey, remember Gundam? <laughs> That's what it is. And if you know these things, it means nothing. Like, it doesn't add anything to All your it does is contextualize experience. when this is taking place. Okay, yeah. there were kids, yeah. and this conversation is happening as this part of Gundam is happening, and that's it. And then when they do the flashback right. again to when they're teenagers, okay, they're in this facility as this part of Zeta Gundam is happening. That's literally all it is. And it's fine if, like, you want to make something that's like, this is for hardcore fans, fine, that's what it is, this is for hardcore fans, but don't be like, well, new people can watch this, like, yeah, no. I, I so disagree with all these assertions in these interviews that this is for new people. This is for the most hardcore of hardcore Gundam fans, of which, yes, I technically count as one, even though I'm still not on the level of, say, your Tom Asnables or your Doug Wilders. I don't know, man. Even my hardcore Gundam friends, uh, you know. Oh, I didn't say they would like it, Mike. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Tom Asnable's mad and Doug Wilder's mad. <laughs> don't get me. <laughs> they were all asking, please let me be on this one. I'm like, listen, we'll be here for way too long. But, you know, yes, they did send me the supplemental materials and stuff of like, here's the wacky stuff that they were sending out to promote it. We've like, already you know, been talking yeah. way too long about this. <laughs> I didn't even mention the, the Fenix boxer shorts that oh, was narrative man. Oh, really? merchandise 
there's your narrative eyeglass case and cleaner and, you know, the two-way <laughs> pen case and your small dish set oh, and yeah. your USB cards. Well, that's cards the thing now and- is like now if you have your big property, if you have to make enough merchandise that you could survive for like a year <laughs> entirely off of branded stuff. Right. Get your white unicorn egg covered fried rice tofu gyoza. <laughs> The bacon and spinach cheese cream pasta smoked tulip chicken for those who chase legends. The black sauce okonomiyaki shaped like the black, you know, all this stuff was part of just tying things in. Yeah. There's so much crazy stuff for this and that's who it's for and that's it. And my sincere hope for this UC Next 100 project is that they take some stock and they try and make this stuff accessible to at least be like, the impression like, yeah, stuff happened before. Yeah, I can go check it out if I'm interested, but it's not relevant to this story here and now necessarily. They just sort of acknowledge right. it. And if you want it, it's there. Or like move forward enough in time that that other stuff it didn't happen so recently. Well, sure. Next hundred years after Shaw's counterattack, Clarissa, I remember. Well, sure. But <laughs> yeah. But thematically move ahead. Yeah. Not just chronologically move ahead. Because Tamino, when he was making F91, when he was making Victory, he was like, okay, I'll set it this many years after and this many years after. But thematically, it's still just a rehash. Sure. And people are like, okay, I, I don't give a shit. That's why you needed G Gundam. That's why you needed Gundam Wing. That's why you needed stuff like that. Yeah. Is so people could be like, all right, I don't need to worry myself about this minutiae. And Gundam Narrative is a movie that's 90 minutes of minutiae. Right. Yes. And claims otherwise are absurd. I feel like so much of Gundam continuing to be successful is because of those alternate Gundam properties that have been so successful and so accessible. And that they're able to put out new ones constantly where each one is a separate thing and you don't have to catch up on this whole thing. And I don't know, man. I mean, I I guess maybe they're going to continue doing other, like, AU Gundam series alongside it, but I hope that the emphasis on all of these other UC projects doesn't kind of hamstring making these other more accessible titles. I want more ridiculous Gundam, like the first season of Gundam Build Fighters, or the one that inspired that, that three-episode series. Oh yeah, Gunpla Builders. That's it, Gunpla Builders. I love that. Yeah. Ridiculous. (laughs) And yeah, the 2010s overall was a decade in which the Universal Century setting as a concept was revived as like this sort of prestige format production sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked it in that sense because it was always like, this is here. It's there for you older fans. We recognize you're still there. It's not going to be the main course necessarily. We're still going to make build fighters. We're still going to make IBO and things like that. But you guys, we hear you. We feel you. Here's this. I don't want to see happen for the 2020s, even though I am one of those older generation fans. I don't want this UC Next 100 project to be the forefront such right. that the other efforts are pushed to the side. I want them to continually reinvent Gundam and make it reaccessible to the Zoomer generation and what have you yep. through whatever means. Maybe it's time to finally, not just in Twilight Access, have a main character who's a lady. I know it's antithetical to your Fujoshi audience. See Final <laughs> Fantasy. I, I see like, you know, the old woman in her walker being like, Final Fantasy had women characters in it. It's like, all right, grandma, <laughs> let's get you to bed. <laughs> I want, in some way, giant robot stuff to endure, even if it has to be branded as Gundam, because it's slim pickings now. I mean, people are like, 
you know, oh, well, there's other giant robot things, but they're all like ties into Mov Love or some visual right. novel thing or something that's like, hey, I saw Gundam and I'm just going to file the serial numbers off of it. Or, oh, hey, Code Geass made a lot of money. And so we're going to make something else that's similarly loosey goosey. Otaku show, including giant robot. It's just one thing on the checklist as opposed to giant robot show. No, I think the days of giant robot stuff that is for younger audiences needs to still exist in some way, shape or form, because that's all that stuff in your youth and your heyday. Those were things that were made for kids and for teenagers, not just Mm -hmm. for otaku in their 20s or in this case, otaku in their 40s and 50s. 40s. Yeah. You can't maintain long term something if your only focus is on an insular and aging fan base. And like, that's part of the thing that U.S. comics have struggled with. And that's, you know, part of why all of these other things, like these Marvel movies are super successful, because it's like, they are using a lot of stuff from those comics, but they're making stuff that's accessible to a wide audience. Yeah, they're not slavishly sticking to those comics. They just use the parts that work. You can't just keep depending on the same hardcore base of people if you want to actually maintain it and grow it. We need Gundam to be accessible to all, just like how Ilian Omar just tweeted about Gundam, like, as we were talking. Oh, really? It's not even the yes. first time, either. Because people have been saying, <laughs> no. oh, give Elon Omar a Gundam. Oh, yes, she's yes. like, yes, give me a Gundam. What's a Gundam? <laughs> oh, it's a giant robot. Yes, I would love a giant robot. <laughs> Vote for me. And she wins re-election. <laughs> yes, that's what we need. And let's not delude ourselves. It's not to say, like, oh, make robot shows that are about selling toys they're all about selling toys. The objective is just, are you selling toys to kids? Or are you selling toys to grownups? Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. And I say you should sell toys to as many people as possible. <laughs> yes. Is it the $30 set? One of the things that I would like also to see is something that back in, I feel like the 90s, there was a little bit, and to some extent in the 80s too, there was a little bit more, I think, of a willingness to sort of play around with combining giant robots with other things. And so you had like Escaflone, and you had like Magic Knight Ray Earth. Gunbuster didn't adhere to this 100%, but it had the thing of like, it incorporated like the sports series mm-hmm. aspect. I think there's so much you can do in terms of like trying different types of things with robot shows let's have more maybe romance series or girl targeted series and maybe do like we have something that leans more into the sports series aspect like there's so much you can do don't just keep reiterating the same exact thing over and over Well, how about this clarissa let's meet you halfway and i will read from you now the official pitch for uc next 100 from the website Gundam.info as translated from the Japanese. Oh boy, Gundam.info. Beginning from the battle between Amuro and Shaw in Mobile Suit Gundam Shaw's counterattack, it is a universal century saga that connects with Mobile Suit Gundam UC. That's short for unicorn. From there, titles depicting the next 100 years in Universal Century will be created as new series. Universal Century will be featured not only in anime, but games manga, and novels on a mixed-media platform base. It is a project that will cover new and unexplored areas. So see, Clarissa, you're going to get new and unexplored areas. <laughs> the monkey's paw curls. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah. we'll see what they mean by new and unexplored. All right, so hopefully we haven't disappointed everyone. As promised, we spent longer talking about the movie than it takes to watch the, the movie. the movie runtime. Yep, yep, that's always a, the important thing. Yep. 
So what is the next thing? Although I will say, yeah. as much as this is garbage, and make no mistake, Gundam narrative is garbage, with the amount that it was, like, hyped up in terms of being bad, I was sort of expecting, like, handshakers <laughs> level, <laughs> like, terrible. And it's not that. It's the same thing that happened to me with G-Reco, right? People hyped up G-Reco as being, like, so bad, and then I watched and I'm like, this isn't that incomprehensible. I can understand what's going on. It's just dumb. I was going to say, it's yeah, it's kind of gleefully incoherent, but it, it has fun characters and great mobile suit designs, so I was sold. Yeah, it's still, like I said, NT is still garbage. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that it's good, but I think I was expecting, like, something so incredibly dire. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, it's, it's the kind of movie that'll just leave you, like, alternately kind of irritated and just profoundly bored and trying to stay awake. <laughs> and then, then there's maybe seven minutes total of really good premium mecha fight yeah. stuff. I guess how we sold it was, it may not be the worst Gundam that you've ever seen, but it's definitely in the running. And I definitely think this is in the running. Like I said, this is a thing that you would watch if you've run out of Universal Century stuff that's great to watch and yes. you just need to, like, complete the set right that's really the only recommendation i can give this to like i can't in good consciousness be like hey check this out everybody yeah the way i can for like everyone go watch the origin yeah 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 i mean i i all you need to do daryl is just put this next to gundam unicorn and gundam the origin and gundam thunderbolt you know the prestige universal century projects of the last 10 years and how does it compared to them it's the worst yeah it's terrible yeah that's why again i point my finger at the producer at the senior production staff and i'm just like how did you get to a point where you looked at this movie when it was finished and said okay it's good let's put it out there because they worked at a release date and probably worked backwards maybe they did have a release date there are so many things that i wonder about that yeah. so many people had to sign off on this how did everybody just agree like this is fine <laughs> kind of thing i wonder about the script like, what did the early draft of this? And it's not even like a live action thing where you can reshoot and like, you know, retool it based on like, because we were talking about Star Wars and Disney and yeah. Marvel and stuff like that, which is like extensively redone and what have you. And in the case of the last Star Wars movie, they're still writing the movie as they're filming because they still had that little idea Ugh. of what to do. But like in this case, you're not going to draw whole parts of the movie and then cut it out. Right. They don't have that no. in there. So it's like somebody at some point was like, yes, this is where we're going with it. And we are fine with that. Right. They had the script and they, I mean, they rewrote the script to this. This is yeah. the edited yeah. script that we got. And like, I mean, was there really enough of a time crunch that there was a situation where like, well, this isn't good, but we have to get it out. Like, I doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Like, I wanted it to be better, but it's one where I can't even say, like, the idea is good. <laughs> like, oh, I no, think it's no. just... Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I don't even think it's a good idea executed badly. A real bad idea, poorly executed. The only redeeming factor is that it's pretty and there's a couple good fight scenes. Yes, very. It's pretty occasionally. Well, yeah. And there's a couple good Not fight scenes. Not even consistently, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I th hopefully uh, we lived up to the since the bungle one year buildup yeah. of this episode. If not, uh, I'm sorry. You can unpledge now. I think a lot of people just <laughs> pledge to hear this one and get it. And then once they've got it, they're going to cancel their pledges. By all means, do that. We're yeah. in the middle of fucking pandemic. Got to do yeah. what you can to survive. But, Gerald, you brought up a good question there. And the question is, what's next? One of the worst things, one of the worst animes ever was was brought up to me earlier this week. Or last week, and I, but I don't know. That might be too much. Does it have to be a worst anime ever? Can it be just something like Overman King Gainer? I mean, Overman King Gainer, I would watch. Like, I would just watch that. 
Yeah, I have that in my library, and I've seen it. I loved it. I thought it was really cool. I only saw like the first episode or so. Most people yeah. only ever saw the opening credits, and yes. it's like that's all that ever lived on. I mean, uh, it it uh, is idiosyncratic. It's not as incoherent as G-Reco, but it is definitely kind of very Tomino Strange. Mm. How does it measure up to Wings of Reen? Oh, it's much better than that. Yeah. <laughs> How does it measure yeah. up to Zabungle? How does it measure up to Zabungle? It's better than Zabungle. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Basically, yeah. that's why I was saying it may not have to be a torture test, but what was Gerald's proposition that maybe it's too bad remember in jcon 2000 or 2001 when we sat in that video room and watched technolize i don't dislike technolize as intensely as you do and, and that was actually anime sushi meeting i don't think it was at jcon no it was at jcon i remember you were very mad that it took <laughs> about four episodes for somebody to speak and then years ago when we first started the podcast someone called in very flabbergasted technolize saying like what's the secret to technolize please explain it to me Everybody I know who has seen the whole thing says it is the most awful, like, in intensely, like, uninteresting, like, bad anime that they've seen. But that might uh, be too much. Well, I never hear anyone talking about it. And I've never seen it myself. It is certainly, like, I raz Chiaki Konaka a lot. And that might be one of the Chiaki Konakanist things ever. Yeah. <laughs> I can certainly find myself potentially getting tilted at it. But it's a possibility. I don't think it's the worst show ever. I think it's just that typical Chiaki Konakanis turned up to the max. Like, he may have been at his highest powers there, because I think roughly thereafterwards, he probably never worked in this town again. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what the timeline is. Well, it's tough, because if you go further than Technolize, then you get to kind of stuff like Charge Man Ken, which I would joyfully watch. Oh, I mean, Mike Tool is like the Charge Man Ken advocate. Well, but, I mean, know. that you would need to have someone else on. It would be a conflict of interest <laughs> for me. Remember, I helped produce that thing. <laughs> It'd be kind of weird to be like, yeah, I did a bunch of stuff for the DVD. Yeah, buy the thing that I worked on. <laughs> I'm saying that now. Here's my pitch. Buy the thing that I worked on. <laughs> All right. Buy my book. Yeah. By my Astro Ganger. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, oh, I, I did work on Astro Ganger. I did the. Uh, I did the back of box copy. Ah, Astro Gangerific. <laughs> Perhaps what we can do is we can open yep. it up to the people and say, first off, what should our next goal be? That will probably take us a while to to hit. Obviously, well, that's my other question: is Is this just in general, or are we specifically like I was what's next? Say, now thing that you hit this goal, now that we've hit this goal, yeah. do we need to do that any further? Like, I feel like this is acceptable as a goal to hit. I don't think we need to say like, oh, get us up to the next tier necessarily. I think we should set a different sort of yeah. goal. I think what is likely to happen is what you predicted, is that your numbers will sag a little bit because people that wanted this got it, and they'll unpledge. And then you can set a different, like, what was a $200 goal? I mean, really, we're more about number rather than amount. So maybe we'll set another goal to be like, once we have this number of people backing, then okay. bring it on. I so think right that's now, more important than your raw dollar amount is how many supporters right, you have. Right, I agree. Yeah. We didn't really know how Patreon worked and stuff a year ago. Right now, it's kind of hovering about 175 or so, maybe uh, 300 might be the next okay. marker or what have you. Yeah. But we'll work on it. We'll have to think about something. But, we'll think uh, about it. Yeah. Nothing we just said is in stone. Every time I say that, the stupid idea we threw out, you know, offhandedly ends up becoming the idea. <laughs> we'll actually yeah. think about it. So we'll conclude show number 192 of the Anime World Order podcast. Once again, our website is www.animeworldorder.com with our email address being animeworldorder at gmail.com and we would like to hear from you. You can either leave us a comment on that webpage or send us an email 
I would like very much to hear from everyone who saw Gundam Narrative in the theater. And I would especially like to hear from the people who like it and tell us why. Because there are, as I look at reviews and social media, people who liked Gundam Narrative. I think you're crazy, but I want to hear from you. Explain yourselves. Yeah. And I also want to hear from you if you also really hated the movie and want to validate everything that we just said over the last two hours. And have something funny that we didn't cover, that like a, a funny laugh line. Some aspect we didn't point out, because man, if you we can just be here all day. I haven't really, we yeah. barely, if you've seen the movie, you know, we barely talked about the actual nuts and bolts of the movie. And we could, I'm choosing not to. Mm. Let us know. All I'll say is a major character in the film is a ghost. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not exaggerating that in any way. <laughs> nope. Thank you very much, Mike, for coming back on. Uh, it's always a pleasure Certainly. to hear yes. from you. It's always a pleasure to check in. The damage you've been inflicting upon our psyches is well-deserved, well-welcomed, and I eagerly anticipate seeing what stuff you guys are planning over at Discotech. I n- understand that you are tentatively planning on firing up the Mike Tool Show again. Well, that's that. that's something that I have many irons in the fire, but I'm not trying to rush it. I'm waiting for them to coalesce. In the meantime, I've, I've done some hosting stuff for Anime News Network. I hosted the premiere of a show called GB8 uh, over the summer, which was uh, kind of this weird Yoshitaka Amano uh, samurais from the past transported to the near future to fight zombies. Hmm. I just recorded hmm. a, uh, a little kind of fireside chat with the two principals behind the streaming site Retro Crush. Oh, nice. That should be showing up on Anime News Network in, a, in another week or two. It'll be out by the time we post this, probably. Actually, no, we have to have this out before the Blu-ray comes out. <laughs> I think that Fireside Chat is scheduled like sometime in the next two weeks. So they should hit around the same time, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, probably. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, that's what I got going on for Discotech. I have promised a commentary track for a film that we're, we're releasing on Blu-ray. I haven't recorded it yet or, or delivered it, so I'm not going to talk about it any more than that. But yeah, I'm trying to get back in the commentary game. I haven't done one of those in a couple of years. Ooh. Yeah, unfortunately, the license to lock the Superman went to Sentai Filmworks, so I can't get a commentary track where you just say, we must kill lock the we Superman. We must kill lock the Superman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to get that on Blu-ray. Just, I mean, also, it's cheaper than the Japanese version, which is cheap. That was only like 3,500 yen. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a bummer that they didn't include the dubbed version. I, I want the OVAs too, especially with that lock the Superman dub. Space uh, Warriors. Space Warriors. Well, I'll, I'll look might. forward to that. It's Those commentary tracks are great. Yes. Maybe someday I will know enough about one <laughs> thing that I could conceivably record one of those. I'm going to do a ridiculous fan recording of Gal Force the movie and just put it out there and see who downloads it. Yeah. See, see who who the hell wants to like try to sync that up. I don't know. That's that's one of those titles that's like if we ever got the license to that at Discotech, Gerald. You know, I'd I'd call you up right away to do some kind <laughs> of uh, extra. <laughs> yeah, just as soon as they find out which Yakuza family owns, yes. you know, that I portion know. of yeah. Artmic. It wasn't that tied up in Artmic, which is just like, oh my god. <laughs> Gonna have to hire the Dragon of Dojima to work that one out. Yeah, that's right. You just beat yeah. Yakuza Kiwami, Mike. I felt a shockwave right now. Yeah, I beat Yakuza Kiwami, and I have ah. to take a break, and I'm going to play the new Soccer Wars game, which has been sitting on my shelf for months. Then I'll then I'll do Kiwami too. It is fun. And then once you beat that new Soccer Wars, you can watch the anime that's set after the game, Afterwards, but came yeah, out I here before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I have avoided compulsively because I don't want to watch the anime until I finish the game. Mm. Right. Well, it's always a pleasure to be on the show, guys. Uh, Thanks a bunch for having me on. Uh, I'm starving and really want to eat dinner now, so 
Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I'll, I'll <laughs> leave you, you with so that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. For letting us torture you with this movie. Then have a good night, guys, and I'll talk to you Thank, soon. Thank you very much, Mike. Thanks. And we'll see you next time.